Hey everybody, it's Blake. And it's Steve. And you're listening to Action, the movie podcast. Episode 3 of Action, the movie podcast, a movie podcast where each episode, Blake and I will take turns picking a movie, a movie that we will not discuss at all until the beginning of this podcast. So that means no texting, no phone calls, no nothing. This is literally our first conversation we're having about this movie together. Same format every week, week in, week out. Um, Seems like it's always been pretty good fun. This is, like I said, this is episode three, so always fun just to kind of get together and talk about a movie. Um, this week for episode three is my pick, and I chose a movie, Amazon streaming, The Tomorrow War. It was released uh, right around 4th of July this year. Um, originally intended to be uh, a Paramount theatrical release, last Christmas, but with COVID and everything, obviously it got pushed. And um, so they ended up selling it over to Amazon and Amazon has, uh, is streaming it now. So what drew me to this was, uh, I guess I'll just, I'll be honest. I love, and I probably made fun of this, but the popcorn action movies of the nineties, uh, save the world, you know, the save the world movies, oh, independence yeah. day, uh, Armageddon. I was a sucker for that stuff. Uh, it, when it's done well, it's fun and it's great. Um, so when it's again, done well, <laughs> when it's done well. um, but I mean, in my opinion, those were, I mean, you could say those are almost classics. Now people make, you know, all these movies nowadays and kind of model them after those, but, um, those were huge movies back in the 90s. And um, so I was hoping this would be, you know, along the same lines as that um, with some it, from what I could see in the trailer and everything. I know. And I guess we can get into this sometime, too. But, you know, you guys don't watch trailers, but it looked like it had a lot of heart in it in the trailer. So it always it puts me over the top. Um, but yeah. So, I mean, that's what drew me to it. Uh, good 90s style. Save the world action movie. Um, a Chris Pratt. Uh, obviously, it seems like he can do no wrong these days. Bonafide A-list action star, and seems to be able to carry a movie with one arm tied behind his back. He's just—he has it all. The the looks, the charisma, the charm. The he's he's funny. He's everything. So, um, yeah. So, long story short, but or short story long, I should say. But that's what drew me to this movie. <laughs> what about you, Blake? What drew you to this movie? Well. I mean, yeah, because you told me to. <laughs> All right. Well, so I guess we'll get into it a little bit. Directed by Chris McKay. I don't know how much you know about him. You you want to talk a little bit about the director, Blake? I looked into a, a him a little bit. He seems to have done mostly comedies, from my understanding. He'd done, uh, oddly enough, Lego Batman 1 and 2. Well, there's not a, there's not a 2. Yeah. That's that's like a, a big thing, actually. You might have maybe, maybe that's what you saw there. There he was working on the two, but but uh, but the Lego stuff got sold to another studio, actually. So they're not going to be able to make it to, and a lot of fans are mad about that. I thought he, but since he was lined up to direct it, I guess I didn't yeah. know that yeah. other extra part. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the thing. Yeah, he was 
it, 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 I, I don't know how recently that came out, but, um, but a lot of people are, I mean, huge fans of that Lego and they're really upset that that two's not going to be made, but the, the Lego movie, he was the editor of that. And then, uh, he, he did the, like you said, he actually directed the Lego Batman movie. Um, he also uh, directed, uh, like 46 episodes of robot chicken. Are you a big fan of that? Yes. And no, sometimes it's, we used to buy it when it would come out on DVD. Me and Drew both did. And it's cool. It's not as fun watching it back to back because you get a lot of the same jokes. But it's one of those things that you just need to catch on TV. And it's hilarious. I think owning it and watching it made it less funny. Seeing everything right. like in order and back to back. It wasn't as funny. Besides those 46 episodes of Robot Chicken, he has another Adult Swim credit uh, under his belt as well. He directed a good chunk of the episodes of a uh, like what is it stop motion claymation show called Moral Oral, yeah. <laughs> and so I've seen bits of it. It's a weird, weird like show about like the kids, the father, the the son of a pastor, and then it's just all this really gray and vague and like really kind of messed up stuff that this kid's supposed to understand. But I only saw bits and pieces of it. It wasn't my cup of tea. I don't think. Is yeah. That- it sounds pretty out there. Um, yeah, I mean, one of the big things, I guess, that's on his slate is Johnny Quest. I don't know how familiar yeah. you guys are with that, but I did see about of- that. It's uh, is it? It's just announced, right? He's not actually no, no one's working on it. it's in pre-production, right? Well, it's yeah, it's in pre-production, but it is yeah. it's a go from like a what li- I understand. A live action Johnny Quest. My understanding, yeah, it's live yeah. action. Uh, it is. Live All I know action. is a better cast. Uh, I'm not sure if they could do it, but they should cast Patrick Warburton <laughs> as uh, what's his face? No, what am I? I'm not. I'm thinking Venture Brothers. Never mind, Brock Samson. But um, it's the same thing. It's Venture Brothers is a spoof of Johnny Quest, right? Right. To the point they actually spoof Johnny Quest in the show. But anyway, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm excited about that. I remember Johnny Quest wasn't something I necessarily grew up with, but it was around everything else, and I watched it. Yeah. I was like, oh, cool. I'm going to go play Tomb Raider. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, I mean, but I mean, to say the least, he he definitely uh, seems like he's going to be, he's a busy guy and he has a lot of interesting projects on his slate. I mean, those are just a few of them that, that are lined up. But uh, uh, I guess over to the writer, Zach Dean. I'm actually pretty uh, intrigued by this guy. Um, just recently, I watched one of his other movies called 24 Hours to Live. Have you guys seen that? Oh, no. Is any good? Ethan Hawke movie. Yeah, man, it, it was. It was surprisingly good. I I was really, uh, I mean, again, I just, I was flipping around one night looking for something to watch, and, and I, I came across that and watched it, and it was pretty intense, I mean, from moment one. Uh, I really like that. There's another one he did before that called Deadfall. I haven't seen that, but it's it's on my list. I'm gonna try to find that and watch it. And um, then he has some others. Go ahead. I'm so sorry. I think that got a lot of acclaim. The Deadfall. Did it? A lot of people seem to talk about it. The only thing I know about it is that it stars uh, Eric Bana. That's the only Mm -hmm. thing I I know about it. And Olivia Wilde and Charlie Hunnam. Good cast. Who's Charlie Hunnam? He's in all those Guy Ritchie movies now. He was in the... Um, oh, okay. I know you're talking about. He's a gentleman a, recently. and He was Jax in uh, Sons Jax of Anarchy. Is, right. I mean, that's yeah. what he's best known for, yeah. And he was in Pacific Rim and a bunch... He was the main dude in Pacific Rim. And he was a 
supposedly he's he's a fan cast. I don't know if ever I could do it, but people want him to play Green Arrow in the movies because he, they think he he looks just like he could do it. Yeah. yeah. What I thought you were going to say was he he was actually cast as Christian Grey in those Fifty Shades of Grey movies, and he ended up leaving that project. So. Thank God for him. (laughs) Good for him. It would have ruined his career. (laughs) But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I guess back to, to the writer, Zach Dean, he, then he has some other stuff and, and, uh, announced in pre-production too. one called Methuselah starring, uh, Michael B. Jordan. This sounds super cool. I mean, this movie is going to be on my radar big time directed by Danny Boyle. You know, you know, Danny Boyle. That's not ringing a bell. Well, he, you know, he did train spotting and oh, um, okay, he won the Oscar for Some Dog Millionaire, 127 hours with a, uh, um, you know, where Franco. he cuts his with Franco, where he cuts his hand off, and but uh, again, I mean, this movie sounds super cool. It's about a, it says it's a a guy that's a, a thousand year old man who uses a uh, time on the planet to develop unparalleled set of survival skills. So, I mean, if that doesn't sound intriguing, I don't know what does. It does sound pretty cool. I didn't know anything uh-huh. about that. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it, apparently he wrote the original script for it. And then Danny Boyle's uh, guy, Simon Bufoy, I, I guess you pronounce his name, who writes pretty much every one of his movies, took it and um, kind of rewrote it, I guess. But put his put little again. twang on it. Right. But yeah, I mean, he again, so the director and the writer on this one, um, some uh, a good pedigree already, and it looks like they're just going to get bigger and bigger. So I'm pretty excited about that. What, what do you think? Uh, having never seen any of the other writers work, I don't know. This is my first foray into it, and it seems uh, maybe too much was not... Not too much was going on, but for me, the movie felt both too long and too short at the same time of what they were wanting to do. Because at certain points in the movie, it just kind of like, and leaping logic, let's go. They just kind of like barreled through a, a couple of instances. Like he didn't, he wasn't, he's not good at connecting dots, I guess. One, one thing I did see a lot of people reference in some of the interviews and stuff I was reading and watching after I watched this uh, was they a lot of people kind of consider this a four act movie where at the end of the third act, it kind of goes into uh, like you, you feel like it's over and it kind of goes into a whole other arc, you know, to kind of finish everything off. So maybe it goes into I, a very because, yeah, I was I think I talked to Drew about that off off cat off podcast how it's like distinctly broke up into four 30 minute parts like it's almost like exactly 30 minutes apart which is kind of like strange i think this is gonna be a foaming for us because it sounds like we kind of both have two different takes on it um mm-hmm. I, I really liked uh, the way that the writer did this he i think he did a good job kind of building um, this world and creating these rules inside of it. And I kind of talk about that week in and week out. I mean, that's one of my big things. You can make whatever story you want, but you have to create the rules inside of this world and, and, stick, the rules, to rules. and stick to the rules. And I felt like he did that. I mean, there's a lot of um, good pieces of dialogue that set this up. And again, that's one of the scariest things about a movie. And I think we mentioned this last week where if you can create a movie and you can watch it with the sound off, 
you've created a good movie if you know what happened, you know, at the end of the movie, just by yes. watching it with no sound. Good but on this language. one, there's a lot of stuff in dialogue. So if you miss one or two of these things, then I, I can see how somebody could be thrown off on it um, and be like, come on now, or, or I, that doesn't make sense that he wouldn't do that. Or um, So in this one, there is quite a bit of stuff like inner motivation, character motive, you know, Chris Pratt, um, his character's name is Dan Forrester. Some of his inner and outer motivation, you know, things, scenes between him and his daughter at the beginning of the movie. I did um, enjoy those. Yeah, it, it's to me, and, and maybe again, me having a daughter, maybe that plays into it as well too. But, um, but it just it kind of hit home and it kind of hit me in the heart. But yeah, I, mean, I guess uh, we can kind of get more into that in a little bit. Maybe we should just kind of talk about the setup of the, of the movie where where we start out, but. Did you want to kind of go into that or you want me to? I, I, I do have a quick question. How do you, I, I get why movies have to do this and kind of in books and stuff do this where they give you that, that quick burst, like the, the opening of the, like the first 40 seconds of this movie is that, that kind of disjointed jump gone wrong. It, it immediately opens up on that teleport. Right. Yeah. And I was just like, I, I didn't need that type thing i didn't it, i would have felt it would have been more jarring later but they kind of ruined it early on that something bad happened you know what i mean yeah they i kind of like I, mean, I guess the whole because okay so what you're talking about is literally right whenever the the credits you know the the logo the everything comes up and you're hearing the sounds and then it, like you said it immediately bursts into the teleport chaos, burning buildings, bodies falling. Uh, Chris Pratt falls into a pool, crawls out. He's armed. He gets hit in the face real hard with somebody's boot. <laughs> yeah. Uh -huh. He gets out. He's armed. And then we hear that creature growling. And then it says cut to 28 years earlier. So yeah. I guess in order to do that, they kind of had to, to do that. If I mean, that that's my answer to your question. Because how would you know, I guess, that because what what happens after that in that scene that night at that party whenever um they're watching that soccer game and this cuts in so are you saying that that would have been more powerful if we wouldn't have seen them what well, is not that it wouldn't have been more powerful but it ruins the surprise later because you already know cool you already know he's good but you kind of already know based off the movie that he's gonna get you know he'll get the draft he'll get shot to the future but then when that happens, you know that you automatically know something's going to go wrong. So they kind of ruin the surprise of the surprise later when they're like, oh, something's gone wrong with the jump. What's happening? Should we cancel? And you're like, I already know something's going to go wrong because they're talking about how, oh, you're only going to appear five feet off the ground. And they're appearing above skyscrapers in the, in the early It's Like you ruined the surprise of the malfunction. You ruined your own surprise by showing me the surprise beginning of the movie. I can I can see what you're where you're going at there, but when whenever I was watching, I I didn't think that I was just you know I didn't know how many jumps they're gonna make you know well, so I was thinking maybe it was a different jump I don't know but I wasn't even thinking that it was the same jump. Well, I mean me neither. But then once it uh once the jump took place and you saw them and you're like oh it's the same jump oh it's the same jump so <laughs> they're all right. gonna fall something bad's gonna happen they're all, and now admittedly. When, when you know when they actually focus on the jump and the the bad thing the um, I, 
that's another thing I'll talk about later when we get to it about what malfunction, what made the jump malfunction. It did. There's no answer to that question at all anywhere. But besides that point, it goes a lot worse than you think it's going to because there's a lot of bad stuff that people just falling. But I don't know. I, I just I get why you people have to do it. Like, oh, here's a cool thing to pull you in the movie. If I'm already sitting down to watch the movie, I've spent money. I'm invested. You don't got to try to like reel me in. I'm here for the actor. I'm here for the director. I'm here for the writer. But I guess people, not everyone watches movies like I do, which I right. get. And that's what's fun. Yeah, that's what that's what makes watching movies fun, period, and just talking about them. But to answer your question, though, the reason that that did happen, they do kind of explain it. You know, it was an emergency deployment. So they threw it together real fast because that research facility was under attack and they were worried that if they lost that facility, then the world war, then the entire war would be lost. So what they said was the sinking coordinates were off. So I guess they threw that jump together so fast they didn't sync the coordinates correctly and it was off. So oh, I didn't did. even register that both times I watched it. I was like, why is this yeah. happening? This doesn't make any sense as to why this is malfunctioning. Yeah. Like, and I watched the movie twice and I still didn't yeah. catch that either time. Right. And, and that's what I'm saying. That That's where it gets really dangerous. You know, I guess I missed a line of dialogue. Exactly. Because I was like, what is happening? I, uh, and yes, I agree. And, but the writer did his job was what I was saying earlier. You know what I'm saying? He put those lines in there. If the director needs to do something to make it come across more, you know, f- effectively then, but again, I mean, the, again, I, I love how he built this world and he put, in my opinion, it seems like he put all the correct rules in there, you know, for everything to make, make sense. But I completely agree with you and I know what you're saying on, on that. I mean, it, it, you, it's so easy to miss something like that. Um, and, and again, I probably didn't even catch it until the second time either, but yeah, good stuff, man. This, this is what, uh, this is what I like about this. So what, what else? Did, so there, it so comes we, back to, to yeah, so you want to jump back to the, the, well, let's kind of, I kind of ragged on a little bit. We got a little far ahead of ourselves, but you want to talk about the kind of the opening act and, you know, the, right. um, the appearance of the start of the tomorrow war. Yeah. So, so again, it, we, we talked about how it, it we start on that initial teleport, then it immediately cuts Ooh, playing um, Christmas music. Go ahead. We do need to, before we get into this, people, uh, big old, big old spoiler, spoiler warning. We're going to deep dive oh, yeah. into this movie. Yeah, I didn't want to, I forgot, we should have said that a little earlier before we started talking about a few things. <laughs> but if you're, if you're listening to this, hopefully you watched the movie already. Maybe you didn't watch it twice like I did, or I don't know how many times. How many times you end up watching it, Steve? Like twice, or did you watch it a couple? Two full times, and I kind of jumped around a couple other times. Just to see, like, oh, was this scene as cool as I remember it? Yeah, right. But yeah, so big spoiler warning, folks. Sorry, we should have said that earlier. No holds bar. We're going to spoil everything. And I have a few bones to pick with some of the things, but we'll get to when we get to it. <laughs> Uh, so hey, I didn't mean I to interrupt will, you, Steve, but you go ahead. No, 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 no interruptions at all. I mean, it's this conversation. I will say this too. I, I don't know um, if we've ever talked about this before, but I always make my review after the first viewing. I try not to watch it a whole bunch and say, "Oh, I like it a little bit more now," or "No, I hate it a little bit, but a little bit more now." I try to always watch it once and give my review right after that. Um, so, it, like Stephen King has this uh, thing about writing. He talks about 
whenever you're writing something, always go with the first word that comes into your mind. Because if you sit there and look up and try to find a better word, you're always going to find a better word. So it's always good, you know, whatever initially first comes out. So I usually try to re- give my rating, my review after the first viewing. So um, so I, I feel like I can watch as many times as I want after that, just to kind of delve more into it, you know. But I get um, it. Yeah. Okay, so like you said, spoiler warning, everything after this, uh, we're, you know, no holds barred. So um, you're, you've been warned. Okay, so again, uh, teleport go, goes wrong. Chris Pratt comes out of the pool, cut to 28 years earlier, has the title card, December, playing Christmas music. Chris Pratt looks the same age. So maybe this, that's one thing too, that maybe that's why they showed that at the beginning. You know what I'm saying? Like, hold on, why does, they just showed this, he's the exact same age right now, and it's 28 years earlier, what's going on? So maybe that adds a little bit of intrigue, I don't know, but maybe that's kind of the answer to your question earlier too. Um, but so cut to 28 years earlier, they show Chris Pratt, looks the same age, he's on the phone, talking to somebody about trying to get a job. Um, he doesn't get it, he's devastated. He goes into the house. They're having a a little party there. They're watching a soccer game. His wife and his daughter kind of consoling. Fantastic scene, by the way, in my opinion. Just yeah, he was his acting was really good at that part. (laughs) (laughs) Like he was really good in like the interacting with the the daughter and his wife, uh, played by the lovely Betty Gilpin, and. like that was actually a really endearing scene. Mm-hmm. I actually really enjoyed that, and the rage from earlier when they're like, "Oh, when he gets turned," they just blatantly tell him they they turn him down from the job, and just you can that, that quiet the trash rage. can over. Yeah. Oh yeah, he kicks the hell out of that trash can. Having oddly enough, real world experience when dealing with bins like that. It is incredibly difficult when you're trying to take one of those wheels off. He just kicks it so hard. One of the wheels goes flying off in a fit of joy. Yeah. And then he kind of holds his hand up and says, sorry, you know, just in case anybody saw that. So we we see that he's not, you know, a violent person. So that's kind of important too there, I guess, that we see he is actually a good man that just was really disappointed he didn't get that job. But, uh, but yeah, like you said, great acting on that part uh, by all of them, the, the, the little girl, the Betty Gilpin, Chris Pratt. Um, but there's one, uh, and I mentioned this earlier, all these little lines of dialogue. Um, one very important, in my opinion, line of dialogue where they're watching this soccer game and he's kind of showing it to his daughter and he says the best in the world. You know, he's like talking about these players. They're the, there's, they're the best in the world. He said, and he says something like, you know what, how you get to be the best in the world, you got to be willing to do what nobody else is willing to do. So in my opinion, that kind of shows what kind of person he is and it shows what kind of person he's going to be whenever they go into this war. Um, what's important to him, his daughter, his family, you know, and this is another thing that that kind of comes across in this movie is right now in real life if somebody gets drafted you know or you know well whenever they go into the armed forces they're young they're 18 or whatever and or or back in whenever we had the draft they were all young people but in this these are all older people I, i guess we'll talk about that a little bit later you know they have to be over the age of 30 is that what it was um over the age of i think 40 i think everyone was 40 no hold on I'm trying to think because they have a brief conversation about that. Yeah, there's no, I think it might be 
Yeah, I didn't take a damn note of that. Um, I think it was it was either thirty or forty, and I think they may. How old is Chris? I Pratt? think, I think it's I think it's thirty, but uh, I can't um, because all the people that train them are younger than thirty, like thirty and younger. Yeah, yeah. like twenty five anyway, and younger. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and my bad, I should have made an exact made an exact note of that. They, they uh, even say it in the movie, but I think you're right. Yeah, it's, it's thirty. Is no yeah. one in here is under thirty, and they look around they're like some of them. A lot older than 30. Uh huh. So, w- one of the cool things about this is these people that are going have something to fight for. You know, they're fighting for their families, they're fighting for their children to have a life and to have a better life. And as any parent, you can relate to that. That's all you care about is your, your children's survival and having a better life. So, again, boom, 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 right off the bat, this opening scene. Um, you see how much he cares about his daughter and his cares about his family. So, you know, he's going to go there and do all he can. And you probably have a similar feeling that the other people, since they're going to be over that age too, and they have families, they're going to be doing it too. So in my, you know, they throw all these civilians into this war in this draft. Um, and again, I'm getting ahead of myself, but, but that, that could be, you know, far-fetched that they, they would, would go there and they wouldn't fight and they, they wouldn't be able to um, succeed. But, but then you factor in the whole thing that uh, what, what they're going there to do it for, you know what I'm saying? They're, yeah. they're, they have something to fight for. So again, I love that. Um, all right. So back to the soccer game, they're watching the soccer game. He <laughs> says that with his daughter, um, the big moments uh, it just, uh well, how would you describe it? The screen starts flickering and um, oh, yeah, right like in the, static disruption or whatever signal yeah. disruption. And the one player is running toward the goal and he is immediately stopped by this uh, like time warp thing that just appears and these uh, soldiers come through it. And so everybody that's watching the soccer game around the world live, including Chris Pratt and his family and everybody at this party, um, sees this and uh chris chris pratt says is this a joke <laughs> you know like yeah. <laughs> I, I laughed out loud at that line he's like watching this game and he's like is this a joke um but uh but the, the they come in and they they the soldiers basically explain what's going on that there's a war going on um that they're that they are them in the future and they're there to fight and they need help, basically. So, um, from that point, go ahead. I would say that is a pretty good speech. So what's her name? Uh, Commander Hart or Lieutenant Hart? Is a, she's like, we are your sons and daughters. Yeah, we are your. That's a pretty good speech she gives. Like that little actress. I, I didn't really do much look into her, but she, she, she was really good. That's what cut in for a second. Do they? I only watched it once. Does everybody, does the whole world just like believe her after that speech? Well, like it jumps. Like, I mean, somebody comes through a portal and just like says some stuff and everybody's like, I mean, she came through a portal. I guess she's telling the truth. I was going to say, I mean, they saw it with their own eyes, you know, not even, not only on TV and around the world, but in person at that game. So it had to be some pretty damn good special effects. Well, yeah. I mean, but does she, do they, I don't remember, do they show any, any kind of, do they bring credits? Do they bring credits? Evidence from the future? Yeah, the credits go over like, I think a year or two in the timeline, just kind of fast forwards really quick. That's why they're like 30 years in the future, but then it's 28 years later because it, it takes them two years to get everything together, to convince people, to get the world government to 
come together like the UN and all them and they explain all that in the credits they yeah, take and they two do. years that go by convince it's true to convince that it's true and to establish the the first world draft and you know the UN has to you know they all unanimously voted like, they explain it in the credits very quickly but they do explain it in the credits and well and, and immediately after that too immediately after that uh when she comes in and gives that speech that and, and again good point I'm glad you said that it was a great speech as soon as she gives that speech, they kind of cut and do a news broadcast montage, you know, showing things around the world and kind of filling in those gaps. Like it's been six months. Oh, it's been 18 months. It's been right. It's like it's been two. It's been two years since that initial draft. And now we have peace riots breaking out. Not our war. It's kind of just yeah. goes. And so, yeah, I mean, it, and like we mentioned earlier, the whole reason that civilians need to be drafted is because only 50% of military are able to jump. And like we, like we mentioned earlier, because of the age. Um, so they need to draft civilians. Um, it's a worldwide, it's an actual draft, a worldwide draft. And, and there's only a 20% survival rate from that, from that, those people that go into that. Yeah, go ahead. Like, um, I just had the question. Do they ever explain why only 50% of the military can jump? My, my because thing was because, because they, they because the age because you can't live you can't live in two different all the people that that go are dead at that point so that's why those younger people they're they're only training those younger true, people yeah. don't jump they're only there to train um so the only the the military that can jump i guess right. are the ones that are dead in the future because they, they mentioned that to avoid paradoxes. They don't want the older people coming back in time, meaning their younger selves. And okay, they do. Right. They, they say they do that to avoid paradoxes. Okay, mm-hmm. I, I remember that. They do say that line of dialogue. Yeah. And this is one of the things I like too. Another thing I like is that they don't get too much into the minutiae of time travel. I mean, just like the Terminator movies, how many are we on now? And it's like, oh, we have to have this sequel because this thing was broken or this happened. You can't do this or that. And it just gets too discombobulated, man. So they they retcon whole movies. So it doesn't matter anyway. I mean, the whole thing of time travel. I mean, you could poke holes in it all day long. Everybody could no matter what. So I like how they just, again, man, the writer did a good job of building these rules and keeping them inside this world. And um, he, he kept it nice and simple with just with that. So, um, but uh, yeah, it's they, so they, the survivor rates only 20%, obviously. So you don't want to get drafted. If you get drafted, you're worried, you know, obviously your family's going to be worried. Um, so what happens on the next day? Obviously, we were at school. We find out Chris Pratt's a character. Uh, Dan uh, Forrester is a high school teacher, and um, he's in his class talking about. And this is very important: the big volcanoes thing, foreshadowing. We meet Martin, a little kid in his class named Martin. That uh, and everybody's like, "What does Martin like to talk about? Volcano, ancient volcanoes." So like, shut again, up, Martin. <laughs> <laughs> foreshadowing um but uh so uh, what what happens whenever uh chris pratt you know he's he's again more great lines of dialogue he says what's uh, one of the cl- kids in the class raise their hand they're like what's the point you know what's the point of all this and then chris pratt says sign the importance of scientists science innovation we can't stop innovating this is how you solve the problem we need to focus up so we again, we see what kind of person he is and um, what he's saying. 
we understand his motivation and how he's going to, you know, attack this whole thing. Uh, so immediately after that, he gets a notification on his phone. What's the notification? He's been he's, drafted. He's been drafted. <laughs> so he goes to uh, the, this exam room. Um, we cut over to that. They immediately start. Go ahead. Well, when I, I do kind of like the exam because it gives us a little bit more. What's what I'm looking for? It gives you more depth to the character and to the plot and to the, the rules of the world. And that's where you learn a couple of cool things, which we'll get to in a second. I just want to point out before we get into cool stuff, I want to point out one thing that I hated <laughs> immediately. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And this is just an entirely a, a personal preference thing. And it's a real world stuff that le- is leaking into movies. And so this suspension of disbelief in this, <laughs> it didn't work on me in this particular moment. Because there's a moment where he has to be uh he has to do the, the this kind of exam they, they're testing him and they're like hey please take your shirt off there's no reason for him to be shirtless in this scene because the everything they strap on him his shirt wouldn't have obscured that the machine that he has to stick his arm into to get tested all he had to do is roll his sleeve up there was no reason for him to take his shirt off other than hollywood going chris pratt is hot look at his body and it was well, his- just annoying to see that his character's reaction, though, he was like, "What? Why? You know? Why?" why? I, yeah, I, I mean, like, he kind of acknowledged it, but, but like, they he, do, though. Um, I guess they could have just simply rolled up his sleeve or something, but they do put the thing on him. You know? Yeah, but they, they still. I mean, roll, please uh, roll your sleeve up, sir. There is no reason for his shirt to come off. Yeah, like at all. Yeah, but like you said, Chris Pratt, Hollywood movie, got to show. Up I, I was just like, why? Like, I get it. I mean, oh, cool, but hot bodies. But even if it had been a really hot chick that I'm not going to lie, that I wanted to see her, you know, with less clothes on, I'd be like, why is her shirt coming off? She could have just rolled her sleeve up. <laughs> yeah, but I think that was kind of tongue in cheek because he, again, Chris Pratt's character, Dame Forrester, does kind of give that like, what? Why? Okay, whatever, you know. But yeah, no, for sure. I mean, it's. Again, that's something that's... It has nothing to do with the movie, but it's just real-world thing that I immediately, I was just like, why? I think me and Drew would both look at each other and, because as random as it is, we've heard other movie stars talk about this thing. They're like, why am I taking my shirt off? They're like, oh, because, you know, you have to. It's like, but why? Right. Can you make it at least feel organic? Why am I waking up in the morning... And the first thing I'm doing is I'm ripping my shirt off to do dishes. What? <laughs> doing dishes without a shirt on? Like they just, I've heard other point uh, actors talk about that, but sorry, I don't want to. No, That's the thing taken. that I absolutely hate about the scene. It has nothing to do with the story or anything. Just some, uh, I guess, real right. life politics. Oh, I got you. Skin got politics. You. So let's uh, get back to the actual, you know, the, the development of the scene. Sorry, Steve. No, no, <laughs> please never be sorry. It's, this is great. Um, so yeah, they they uh, they put the implant in him. We got that far. Uh, which an implant? It's basically like a metal cast on their forearm. Um, that it's a metal you know thing, literally that covers their entire forearm. And we find out that um, he is 
considered active two status is what they say. And he finds out he's, his, he himself will be dead in seven years, um, but they won't tell him the details of how he dies. Um, he's told that that implant can only be removed when the tour of duty is complete, which is seven days. And he can be tracked anywhere on earth with it. And if he removes the device, it's going to be imprisonment for him or his spouse or a dependent yeah, I will, will have to take his place. So I mean to jump on you, uh, but I do, I do think that's pretty brutal punishment because they explain to you like, and she, she, they literally say that verbatim. Mm-hmm. If you remove it and we cannot find you, your spouse or your next closest of kin will take your place in prison. Mm-hmm. So yep. I, I, I mean, it's they're really strict because they don't want people to run away. And who's going to like willingly throw their spouse or their next kid could be an eight year old daughter, like your, your, your eight year old daughter, because you are a traitor, will spend her life in jail. Yeah. Like, so they're really <clears throat> hitting you, like making sure people don't try to run from this draft. Yep. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, it's a big deal. He's, he's basically locked in now. He, as he's leaving, one of the people there uh, that's that's doing all this, doing the exam, putting the device on him, pretty much salutes him or whatever. And, you know, we find out that he's um, did a tour in Iraq 15 years ago as Special Ops Command. And she says, thanks for your service again. So um, that was pretty cool. So we find out that he does have experience at this point, that he's he's not just going to be some normal civilian going in there. So he, he goes, he leaves there, and we... Uh, we cut to his wife, uh, again, played by Betty Gilpin, uh, phenomenal, everything she's been in. She's everywhere now. Uh, I, I can't say enough about her. Um, and he, uh, wish she would have been used more in this movie, but she did a good job in the scene she was in. Um, but we find out that she's a grief counselor for people that have come back from their tours in this already. And we see um, one guy in there kind of telling his story. And he says that the clicking, remember that? She's like, um, one, that, that patient he's talking about, the one thing that he painfully remembers is the clicking sound, which is kind of cool. I, yeah. I liked that. I was, that kind of got me, hmm, what, you know. What's but, uh, clicking? Yeah. So, so she's she. We see that Chris Pratt walks in. They make eye contact. Um, then we cut to um, him telling her that he's been drafted. She wants him to run, and um, again, we know the consequences of that if he runs. But there's a, I guess, an ace up the sleeve, and that's where we get. And she, you know, she says, you know, you do have an option. So we see what this is, and uh, Chris Pratt goes to see his father, who. I guess they're, you know, have a bad relationship to say the least. Not exactly on speaking terms. Right. Played by, uh, again, great in everything he's in, J.K. Simmons. Um, I adore J.K. Simmons. Swole in this movie. Yeah. Did you see how yeah. swole he was? Yeah. He, he was. was. Was that like leftover? Because didn't he get, uh, he was like Commissioner Gordon in Justice League or something, wasn't he? Well, and, I mean, he's uh, he's everywhere. He's the in the the Spider Man movies with Tobey Maguire, and um, but the wow. first thing I ever saw him in was Oz. Did you guys ever watch that show on I HBO, know. the prison show? I know what it is, but I never watched it. It's crazy his character in that show, and then you, it's just amazing to see him in anything now because of how ridiculous his character was in that show. You should watch Oz sometime. Because uh, I adore J.K. Simmons because you get Spider-Man, but more than anything, his voice work is phenomenal. Yeah. Because his two big things, uh, fairly recently, his big voice work is he was Tenzin in The Legend of Korra. 
he was uh, Avatar Aang's eldest son. And then in uh, more recently in the um, Invincible, also an Amazon original, he's the voice for Omni Man, hmm. which is a again. Yep. Uh, if you do you know what Invincible is, Steve? No, I don't watch that. Uh-uh. Okay. Uh, keep uh, so you know. I know you've watched all of Walking Dead. So what uh, what Invincible is is the uh, for, it's the same creator as Walking Dead. It's that's a, a Robert Kirkman's other comic book. Okay. So he, he created the zombies comic book and then he created a superhero comic book. And now Amazon make finally made an animated version of his, of an, of an invincible comic book. It's superheroes for adults though. It's incredibly violent. Violent. Oh, wow. Yeah. Is it? And, and you said, so he's, it's animated. Obviously you say he's yeah. the voice. Yeah. He's the voice of Omni-Man, which, which is a, invincible is the main character's name. Omni-Man's his dad, his father. Yeah. Huh. You have to check that out. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. So, he goes to see his father, J.K. Simmons. Um, we find out that he's uh, this, you know, off the grid, anti-government guy. He takes a look at that device on Chris Pratt, immediately knows what it is, how to take it off. So Chris Pratt has an easy out right here. He could he could get it taken off, take off with his wife and daughter. Um, but this shows how bad of a relationship that they have. Uh, J.K. Simmons uh, immediately thinks that Chris Pratt's, you know, kind of been planted there by the government. So he's kind of, you know, points fingers at Chris Pratt. Pratt Chris Pratt gets defensive. They get in an argument. Chris Pratt storms out. Like, basically, I don't need this from you. Whatever. Goes don't back need home. anything from you. Don't need anything from was, you. Was like the quote, I don't need. He's like, never needed it before. Don't need it now. And yep. then, and then there's a whole like emotional scene. You find out about earlier in the movie that he sent uh, his daughter a Christmas card, and he just hates his dad so much that he rips the Christmas card up and throws it away so that she'll never know her grandpa because he hates him that much. Yep, exactly. So again, you're singing the praises of the writer, putting all this backstory in there. Yeah, all these. So again, all that stuff makes these scenes so effective, and it, it makes sense whenever you see these reactions between these things and what what spurs somebody's outer motivation. So in my opinion, you know, from the beginning of the movie till now, everything's making sense. I understand why everybody's doing what they're doing. Um, I'm really rooting for Chris Pratt. Obviously at this point, you're hoping that he and his father get a better, get their relationship resolved, but he storms out, leaves. I don't need anything from you. Like you said, goes back home. His wife's devastated, obviously, because he's not, you know, dodging this draft or whatever, he's going to go through with it. Um, he tells his wife, I believe I can survive. Um, his wife says, you need to tell our daughter, you know? So he goes out, his daughter's digging, playing in the backyard. He tells her, um, I want you to know I'll be back. You know, again, another great touching moment between them. That was actually a, uh, a pretty funny moment for me. Cause like they're playing in the dirt and he's just being a fun dad. And she's like, ah, oh, digging in the dirt's really hard. And he's like, you're doing it wrong. Let me show you how to, you know what we're doing with this call. She's like, yeah, it's called leverage. Cause he's, he's really good about trying to make sure his daughter is smart. Like she's not dumb and she can't be taken advantage of. And so he's, he shows her how to like shovel properly. And he ends up cutting some power cable. <laughs> it and he's was like, funny. look, he's like, honey, I'll pay you 10 bucks. You tell your mom you did this. She looks at him. She goes, make it 20. He goes, 
Okay then, negotiator. <laughs> yeah, so I, I really, I did enjoy that scene. Made me laugh both times I watched it. I was like, yeah, that's a pretty just well clicked and hit joke. It was good. And and that you have to have that in this movie because the, the, it's a serious. If without those things, you're probably completely depressed at this point because it's so serious. You know, everything's going on is so serious. So they did a great job of putting those and, and again same thing with the other movies i mentioned earlier and again those are just two of those 90s movies independence day and armageddon where they did a great job of sprit like you know sprinkling that humor in through that too to make it fun um so to this point you know it's a serious movie serious tone serious subject but they've done a good job kind of making it light and um not making you want to slit your wrist yet or anything as you watch this movie uh so uh so boom boom He's he's leaving. You're, I'm investing these characters. Uh, I'm I'm rooting for him. Uh, and one thing I should point out that I that I read and and I honestly didn't really pay much attention to this as I was watching it the first two times. But I might you know kind of look around a little bit more. But I I'm, the writer talked about how um, and the director as well that they wanted this to be told from Chris Pratt's character's point of view the whole time. So pretty much every scene is is him you know what i'm saying is yeah. chris pratt and it's told from him whereas you know if you watch any other movie they they cut to all these different sets of characters you know and tell them this part from their point of view or that point from this person's point of view but everything in this movie is chris pratt you know center of that scene it's only and- what's directly associated with his character exactly You're not- do, do you think they had it written that way before they had a big star in that role yeah, they well apparently from what I read, they did. Yeah, that he wrote it like that. Uh huh. He wanted to be t- told from that character Dan Forrest's point of view. Uh huh. So it's almost to be like if a uh, it's going to sound like a weird comparison, but it's just the first one that pops to mind. But like reading a book in first person. Mm-hmm. Like for me and Drew, uh, for me for sure, I don't know if Drew remembers it, but when we read the Hunger Game books. And especially the first one, like when you read the book, it, the, the entire movie is from her per- perspective. There's just things happening and she has no idea why. But then when you watch the movie, they're like, oh, let's do it from her perspective. Now let's take it out of the arena and give it over to this doctor, not to this doctor, but this to Hamish and then to this guy and to this guy. And like you see what they're doing outside the arena while that stuff is happening. And you're like, oh, I get it. It makes sense. But I, it, it makes for a better movie while the other thing makes for a better book. Right, but it's pretty cool. They just they kept it, and when I think about it, they did keep it with him almost entirely. There wasn't a scene that he was not mm-hmm. associated with. I don't think. Yeah, and again, I mean, as a, if I watch it again, maybe I'll see some things here and there. But that I I, I read that 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 was their goal in this. So, um, and again, I mean, it, one thing whenever you watch a movie, you're like, oh, of course this guy's going to live through that, or that guy's going to live through this, or the whole. TV show of 24. We kind of mentioned that earlier, or I mean, I guess off, off video or off recording, but um, t- this guy is it he could really do this many things this many times, but, um, but it's, it's one character, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's, and <laughs> the show of 24, it's only like seven days in this uh, government agent's life. So I guess it's not too far fetched, but anyway, but this, I mean, that that is- I thought like, I, I get 24, was only like 24 hours in a day but it, does it really only go like yeah literally each season was one day 
it was shot. It was real, like real time. Each episode had a countdown in the corner of an hour. That's that's ridiculous. No way. Word of God. <laughs> each, se- each season was one day. I couldn't do that. That's that seems like too much. And again, and all these shows nowadays. Six episodes, 10 episodes, 12 episodes is pushing up for a season nowadays. Maybe 14 episodes. Writers and TV shows have it so easy nowadays. These guys back then literally had to make 24 episodes of a TV show every year, you know. And and (laughs) so, uh, again, my hat will always go off to those writers that were able to sustain that and make it a a 24 episode season of something. But um, like Breaking Bad, everybody raves about, well, Breaking Bad, best show of all time. Yeah, it had like 60 episodes, which is like <laughs> three That's, seasons of 24. That the ain't entire nothing. season. Because <laughs> uh, I mean, like, like literally these... two, two seasons or three seasons of Breaking Bad is one season of 24. But yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was thinking, because most shows nowadays, because I remember it, it is a big thing nowadays, but a lot of shows, like there's a huge celebration for when they hit 100 episodes. Mm-hmm. But most shows nowadays don't even make it to 100 episodes. Right. Yeah. Because because it has a lot to do with, I guess, modern attention spans and stuff, too. Like People don't like filler. They're like, give yeah. me the show. I don't want. Mm-hmm. Which I get. Yeah. I would I would much rather watch a 12 episode show and opposed to them stretch it to 22 when like the other 10 are just kind of like monster of the week or like, ooh, la, la, you know, one offshoot. Give me the story you want to tell me and let it be done with. Yeah. And I mean, there's no such thing as appointment television anymore. And that's what that was, is uh, you didn't care about filler back then. You were just excited to be able to sit down in front of your TV and watch a new episode of something. Now, at days, you know, network television is almost extinct. I don't Uh, even know how it exists. Yeah, frankly. But uh, but yeah, again, huge tangent. We went off there, but (laughs) sorry. um, No, no, I started it with 24. But uh, so going back again this uh um, he's been drafted i think is what we're talking about and we're after his dad and he's talking to his daughter i think that's where we're at yeah so he goes into the boot camp and this is where you know we kind of meet all the other people uh and they have even more comedy sprinkled in with um some fun casting here three people that are kind of, i think we we're talking about earlier kind of comedians um with uh uh, Sam Richardson, who plays Charlie, uh, who ends up being like, you know, kind of a Dan Forrester sidekick. Uh, Mary Lynn that we talked about earlier, who was on 24. That's how we were kind of talking about 24. Then we have um, another guy. I wasn't really familiar with him before this, but Mike Mitchell. Do you know him much about uh, him? I step in here. I do uh, only know him slightly. Uh, from another podcast. It was kind of really weird because I listened to his other podcast. He uh, does called the Doughboys. He does a podcast with his other guy. Um, I'm blanking on his name. Nick Weiger. Nick Weiger. Because I started with Nick Weiger's video game podcast and then kind of moved over to the Doughboys as well. So they do a podcast about uh, eating fast food and then uh, raiding the fast food restaurants. Okay. But uh, it's weird because uh, we had watched this movie and uh, – um, watched the movie and I was like, oh, and well, I heard his voice first because I listened to his podcast. I really didn't know what Mike Mitchell looked like. I heard his voice. I was like, is that Mike Mitchell? You're like, Mike? <laughs> <laughs> With the credits and sure enough, I didn't know what he looked like. I only heard, heard his podcast. Huh. So Blake looked it up. It was kind of cool. And then ironically, uh, some folks who listen to podcasts might know that when he, uh, 
so I, when I started listening to Doughboys, I was way behind. So I always start a podcast from the beginning, and I just listen to a podcast uh, throughout until I catch up. And I like two days after watching this movie, I was listening to Doughboys, and it's like they're in like I mean like 2017 or something. And Mike Mitchell talks about going to London. He he's like, I just got back from London for the weekend, and I was like, did he just did he just get back from filming this movie we just watched? I mean, yeah, probably. It, it was, was very because you know because he's not he's not, in the, he's not in the movie very long, and I was like, he's like, I can't talk about the project, but I I just got back from my little my little weekend in London where he stopped and he went to London and ate at McDonald's, so a lot of good. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, he's kind of he's kind of funny on the podcast, so it was kind of it kind of made sense for him to see uh see him as a, a comedic role in this, and he's uh, that was just funny to say that it's just such a weird thing that I watched the movie and then hear him literally talking about you no know, because the, the whole the whole scenes in London, isn't it? Well, part of that they, they say Miami Beach. I say, is that Miami Beach? That's what they say. They say it's Miami. Yeah, I, I thought, Beach. I, thought right, I don't London, know where I thought, it was filmed, some but London yeah, they're stuff. in Miami. Yeah, yeah, talking about, but if you think about if they filmed it back then, maybe that's what he was doing. Who knows? But uh, well, I, I, then I, I, ironically, at the exact same time, I listened to that's an old episode of Doughboys. Uh, a week later, I listened to Nick Weiger's other podcast, the video game podcast. Um, how this get played and he had mike on there as his guest and they they mentioned then they now he was able he was promoting this movie so he's able to talk about the movie a little bit but she's worked with uh he's worked with chris pratt before Uh, mike mitchell had a few episodes on parks and rec oh yeah yeah this one or two episodes so he said he he actually he actually had met chris before kind of in kind of in passing they weren't like friends or anything but he knew him Anyway, so that's who huh. that's that's what I know about Mike Mitchell. Blake hasn't Blake hasn't listened to the Doughboys podcast yet. Yeah, I knew that less than. So <laughs> he just seemed like I mean, whenever again they're at this boot camp and we're introduced to some of these other people and and he's one of them and obviously he's he just has that that vibe to him that I, I as soon as he started talking I was like who is this guy he's he has to be in some other stuff and he has to be a comedian or something but uh he 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 pretty much stole every scene little scene he was in which was only like you know five or six scenes but he he was really he really funny in that and uh but again that uh, for this thing what's going on how depressed all these people must be um pulled away from their families going to fight this war 20 percent survivor rate um so again, at two out of every ten of these people we're looking at, or are, are only two of them are going to make it back. So they did a good job with that. Good casting, um, good dialogue, funny stuff. Do you remember? I can't. Uh, he, some of the stuff that he said whenever they were in there, like talking about wardrobe and stuff. Do you remember that? They're like, you have to wear this, you have to wear that, or or, yeah, and, or oh, they yeah, like, they say yeah. something about the combat training, and he's like, oh. They're like, we're not going to waste any time on this stuff. And he's like, oh, I was kind of looking forward to that. I could send <laughs> lose a few pounds. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, did you remember any of that? They're like, stuff? oh, yeah, you you can't wear, oh, my God, I can't read. It, it was pretty rapid fire. And when yeah. the character's like, so I can wear this jacket that I bought on the way here because I thought it might rain, but I can't wear my cargo shorts. What what the hell right. is this? Yeah. And they're like, I guess it's function over fashion. <laughs> yeah they did a good job that i mean right off the bat you like all these other people and um you, we again we we mentioned uh sam richardson the actor his character charlie um immediately hitting it off with chris pratt and his character dan uh, we find out that charlie's wife died um she was on the first jump actually the very first jump yeah the first yeah. Uh, at least that's another thing i was confused on is it 
just America jumping, or does everyone get flown to this facility? Was that facility even in America? That was some information that I didn't know, and I don't think they talk about. Well, it, it was it a worldwide draft. A- so, I mean, there are obviously soldiers and people, civilians from all over the world. But, yeah, I mean, it seemed like this was only Americans there. Maybe they had different jumps in other places. I don't know. But, I, yeah, yeah, but like we said, we're we're being told this from Chris Pratt's character's point of view. So It does make it more make more sense if we're being told from just his. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I still feel like. Well, no, they only they said, yeah, there's only one jump. I don't know where it's based, but there's only one jump because the science that he and Charlie talk about slightly later in the scene, they're explaining the jump link and why they can only jump back 40 years. They're like, Mm -hmm. we have a raft in the future and then we have another raft in the past and we could jump between these two rafts, but that's it. And they're like, why don't you guys build more? And they're like, we don't have the technology for it. The one in the future is held together with bubble gum and paper clips as it is yeah and, and so what is she says she says something like next time somebody asks that question don't don't answer it <laughs> oh yeah she's like maybe lie a little <laughs> <Right>. bit <laughs> oh because she's asking about the white spikes mary mary lynn's character is asking about the white spikes yeah and uh the, the the girl who gives that awesome speech early on colonel hart or lieutenant hart she's like well we were told that if people actually knew what they were going up against we wouldn't be able to fill this hanger. <laughs> and Mary Lynn's like, hey, next time someone asks that question, maybe lie a little bit, right. you know, just for funsies. <laughs> yep. This also keeps going because the way the dude explains the jump link being held together with paperclip and bubble gum, you know that it's such dire straits in the future right? as well. It kind of gives you a little more like it's dire. Exactly. And I think and, global population at this point, the entire global population is estimated at what five hundred thousand people. It's like hundreds it. of thousands, yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. And and going into like you're talking about the jumps, they so they go they jump every six days, and it's because the white spikes or they call it the Sabbath, I guess. They go back to their nests, so they basically kind of I guess go every six days and su- try to surprise mm-hmm. them, you know, and and kill as many of them as they can. So that's why their tours of duty only last seven days. Um, so from this point, the, the quick little boot camp and their boot camp is actually even cut short because we kind of mentioned this earlier. Uh, their deployment is ends up being an emergency deployment because there's a research facility that's under attack and they can't lose this thing. So they shoot them off. Coordinates are messed up, um, splatting all over the place. Half of them are, you know, just falling on the ground dying oh and they do mention no matter what it's gonna be like a five to ten foot fall um so wherever you are you could be disorientating but, yeah yeah so the these people the, the cordon sarong half of their people that they jump with are probably even more than half are, are dead um the the lucky ones like chris pratt's character fall into this pool um and survive and <clears throat> God, i wonder what happened to the unlucky one that guy who just fell and hit something and just laid broken on a rooftop until he died a day or two later. Right. Yeah, if that, or, I mean, maybe he got lucky and survived all seven days and his wristband teleported him back. He was probably but, food. Yeah. With the way <laughs> these things swarm, he didn't, right. none of them lasted long. Um, so, so yeah, so they're there. Um, they kind of, they dial, dial into him through the radio. Um, he's Im- immediately kind of the, put in command since he's already has experience. 
then we also meet another character. And we, we actually met him a little bit earlier, but we didn't mention him. Um, the character of Dorian, played by Edwin Hodge, who's a pretty you know hard ass. He's he's done what three or did they they mention like five yeah, he, tours voluntary tours? I think he's on his. This is his third tour. He voluntary. Mm-hmm. Yep. So he he kind of has his own crew, and Chris Pratt has his own crew, but they do work together um, to to do this mission, which is to get uh, what they have to get some kind of a serum or something like that from the research yeah, facility. It's these uh, these uh, vials or ampules, if you want to use the technical term, is ampules of they call it biological material. I yeah, think what, it was just. I'm not really sure what was even in the ampules, frankly. I was about to ask. I don't remember what they even used it for. Oh, the, it was um, it, was it was it the toxin? It was the it was the last samples of the toxin. I got the toxin from the queen. Well, this is the the first toxin, right? I think that was the the first toxin they had that worked, except for it killed everything but the queens, and they had to use the queen combined with what samples of the toxin they had left. To find the master toxin, okay, yeah. I, th- I think that's what happens. They don't. She just says we need the the ampules. They don't say what yeah. they really are. This biological material in the ampules. And again, they they do a good job of keeping it simple. You know what I'm saying? He basically he needs this item to get it back to continue this research. You know, so they get in there. the 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 team, the research team's already dead. They find them, and this is where we finally go ahead. I was like this part. This is a, it's kind of a juxtaposition how everything's going because we, we we talked about this movie being broken up into four distinct parts. Mm-hmm. So with the jump happening, that officially puts us in we'll, I'll say part two or act two. And now with part two, act two, there's minimal dialogue. There's not I mean there's a lot there's dialogue with people talking, but as far as like overarching story, this is a purely action sequence. Mm-hmm. And like, they do a pretty good job about that. And it's a, it's a losing battle. Yeah. And one, one of my favorite things in the scene, and the writer talks about what he actually wrote in the script, uh, Sam Richardson's character, Charlie, whenever they finally meet the white spikes and they're battling them, he says shit just over and over. Shit, 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 shit. He says it but, like 27 times or something like that. It's insane. The, the writer said in the script, it, it simply said shit times a thousand. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, we actually skipped over a, a part that I wanted to talk about that I actually enjoyed. It's the first, it's the first time you sort of get to see the enemy, the white spike. And they don't show it to you, but they do it from a it's kind of a cool uh, trick perspective, I guess they're trying to do is they're, they're stuck on this rooftop before they're after they're given their orders to go into the research building, but they have to do recon first. So they're still stuck on top of their initial building. And Nora, played by Mary Lynn, she's doing scouting because I guess she's the first person who has a pair of working binoculars mm-hmm. and you. <laughs> And they see a bunch of soldiers off in the distance fighting. They're like, oh, people are fighting. And she goes, no, no, they're not. You don't want to see this. And you see the camera pans around from her looking at the binoculars and kind of zooms in on the reflection of the binoculars. And you see the massacre happen to these soldiers off in the distance, but from only the perspective of the reflection in her binoculars. Mm -hmm. I did think that was kind of cool. Yeah, it was very cool. Yeah, good, good point. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, they did a good, the director did a good job with that. And now back to the, uh, like, the introduction 
of the white spikes. Now, I'm going to get nitpicky again. I really am. I love the design of the white spikes. I think they look awesome. All these independently moving, like, Under Armour body plates and stuff that are just, like, they're just really awesome-looking creatures to look at. They are phenomenal. They're smart hunters. They have projectile weapons as well as uh, melee weapon or, you know, melee capabilities, close range. And the the damn near impenetrable skin, except for in the throat and abdomen, which we learned Mm -hmm. earlier. But we don't learn how important that is until right now. Right. But you you said it earlier and you're like, oh, uh, when that guy was in the the grief count, like, what do you remember? And then he's like, the clicking, the clicking. I can't forget the clicking. For something that was built up, and when you finally see them, the clicking was like an afterthought. I didn't really feel that the clicking was as pronounced or as prominent or as creepy or as continuous as I thought that it, it should have been. Like yeah, the, with that line of dialogue, I see what you're saying, but but for that character, that guy that said it, I could see how that sound will haunt him for the rest of his life. Think, yeah. you know, once one second you think you're safe, maybe, you know, and then you just hear this clicking, you know, and you know, one's near. And then one of your friends gets eaten right in front of you. And so I can see how that sound would torment that one character, you know, for the rest of his life. Um, but no, to your point, yeah, it, it, they didn't really like elaborate on that after that. You just, it, it was kind of downplayed after that. But yeah, I, because I could talk about them for a minute. I'm actually kind of going to. They were my favorite part of the movie was the white spikes, like mm-hmm. the, the 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 design that went into them, and just and, and kind of explain what the white spikes. Why, why are they called white spikes? You you the, said projectile. Yeah, the white spikes because they're these quadrupedal, like four four legged monstrous creatures with these long tendril like tails. They can shoot that open up and launch a, I'm, I'm, I'm like an armor piercing round. Like it's shot through doors. It shoot through. Uh, it's like cars. a claw looking like a. Right? Yeah, it was about the, probably I say the width or the length of probably your hand from base of your palm up to your, the middle of it. It was a pretty large chunk and it, it would go through pretty much anything it got launched at. And if you were a living being, it kind of went through you. Which we so saw that had its too. own bullets. Yes, that seemed to regenerate. Like it wasn't just like shoot two and done. Like it could <clears> shoot them <throat> and shoot them and shoot them. Just keep regenerating them, like you said. Yeah. yeah. Which, like, and again, they they were that. I'd never really seen that. Like a creature have something like that. So that was original and awesome to me. I do like. There's a moment because we get to this whole thing, and we find out that uh, the research it's a lost cause we have these ampules and we have six minutes to evac because they're about to carpet bomb they're going to <clears throat> clean this city they're about to which means they're just going to carpet bomb them with i'm like artillery fire basically heavy not heavy duty because that'd be like a tactical nuke but some pretty big missiles fire missiles firestorm missiles whatever you want to call them napalm bombs they're going to cleanse the city with fire and our main team now, the people who have survived thus far, because it is a massacre, no matter how well trained they were to aim for abdomen and throat. And there's only so much you can do against these creatures because some, again, some of these people are, 
I get, we got a few 30 year olds, a few mid thirties and forties. And there's occasional, there's a couple who are in their sixties or even seventies. Like they're people who should not be in a war zone. They're like point the gun and fire. And they're just meat being thrown into the grinder. And it's right. kind of sad to see some of that, but these white spikes were dope. And one scene, it kind of builds up to, we have to leave. And they're like, whatever you do, avoid red smoke. <laughs> yeah, I was you want to talk about that one? And, then, and they're running right through it. <laughs> someone's on the radio. Oh, yeah, someone's on the radio. Yeah, just avoid the red smoke. And they're like, like the guy we're running through right now. <laughs> right. I don't think they even say anything. I think they let the scene say it. Yeah, the, exactly. You know, they play, you know, say it for itself. Yeah. But uh, we get to this is uh, one of the emotional parts you were kind of talking about. You want to talk about this, Steve? Well, uh, so something happens and, uh, you know, Chris Pratt, Dame Forrester wants to save his team and bring back as many of them as he can. And um, they're, you know, they're getting hit by the spikes left and right and they're, they're wounded and um, they're trying to drag them to safety. And then Dorian, who we mentioned earlier, the hard ass is like, leave, you know, leave them. You know, we, we need to, we got the ampules. We need to, that was our mission. We need to go and, Chris Pratt, you know, obviously is, has heart and wants to save these people. And so he almost, you know, sabotages the whole mission trying to save some of these friends. And, um, but they, they, you know, they're like, go, you know, you leave us, just go. And so Chris Pratt and everybody takes off and Mary Lynn and, uh, Mike Mitchell's character, Cowan, they're all kind of left in there wounded and just shooting, you know, blasting these white spikes as the best they can to give everybody else a chance to run away and get away from the red smoke before everything's blasted. And, um, so they do get, you know, they, they get, do get caught in the blast, but, um, so yeah, like you said, that was pretty rough to watch. And it was one of those scenes, like, again, like independence day and, uh, Armageddon and, there's always that character that kind of sacrificed themselves for everybody else, which I like. I thought that was pretty cool, but at the same time, it was it was sad to watch. I will say that the Dutton, when they after this scene, when they get back to safety, I guess because that's going to start the next act probably. Dutton, the guy, the other guy, t- talked to give uh, Pratt some crap. He says, you know, blah blah blah. You went you went back to you went back when you, you when you shouldn't have gone back to save people. And then the people died anyway. And Chris was like, Chris says something like, you got to go back. And he's like, yeah, but you didn't save nobody, did you? Or something, yeah, something, something like that. Matter of fact, he caused more people to die. Yeah, he caused, yeah, Chris actually, that's a part of that scene is Chris probably actually caused more deaths by trying to go back to save other people. That's what the guy's mad because the guy lost his crew. Yeah, Dorian because, lost because, his crew. Yeah, Dorian lost his crew because Chris, Chris's character went back and they had, there was, there was a bit of, Animosity, well, yeah, a lot of animosity. Yeah, right there. That's a, I thought that little scene, that little exchange, because Chris was actually kind of wrong in that particular instance. But yeah, before I jump to that, there's without one. without any way of knowing he he could have been. It's just a, a situation where he had no way of knowing he would be wrong. It was just the going that the going back to save people doesn't always yeah. pay off like it does in the movies. Which and, is, yeah. this Chris, is a this is a movie, but the, Chris Pratt's character, his line of dialogue though, too. There he says. He, he says that's what we're doing we're saving people but you know that is the ultimate mission but in order to save people obviously you need to sacrifice people which like you said drew he was wrong in that instance but um because that was a situation where you know he those people didn't need to be saved because all humanity could, could 
potential be lost, but that was Chris Pratt's, um, you know, his argument back. And like you said, that guy said, but you didn't, did you? That, that was pretty strong. And I, I will mention though, that, and before we get to, I know you got something to say real fast, Blake, but I will say we do learn right here though, that Dorian has cancer and he's like yeah. terminal. So That's, yeah, he's, he's going to be dead in six months and he, right. Once I die, I want to die my way. Yeah, he's like, he's like, I could wither and die, or I can go out fighting. He's like, I'd rather go out fighting. I'd rather live mm-hmm. my life my way, and I'd rather <clears throat> die my die my way. Yeah. But before we, I one last thing I wanted. Uh, I actually really enjoyed the scene because it was kind of rewind a little bit. They're running through the uh, the red smoke kind of early on. I, I I mean I wanted to say this earlier, but we kind of got talk, talking about the other thing, but. I mean, rewind just a little bit. They're running through the red smoke and they're like, hey, we have reinforcements coming. He, he's actually speaking. We, we didn't talk about this either. He's speaking to a, a character known as Romeo Command. Mm-hmm. And it's the person who heads everything. Uh, this uh, person uh, coordinated this uh, woman. So a leader, just commanding officer. She's coordinating everything. Like from like their safe base. And she's like, we need you to do this, Dan. She's like, you know, she's the one coordinating everything and telling him which way to run down the street. She's been, she been in his ear this entire time. Since mm-hmm. the, um, drop. since the drop, actually. We, we, I've got to mention her earlier, Romeo Command. And we'll get to her actual name here in a minute. But the scene, she's like, hey, you, we have some reinforcements coming your way. Keep an eye out. And we're like, cool. And this kind of triumphant music starts playing. These like three Humvees come in uniform and they're flying down yeah. the street and they're like, oh, we're saved. We're saved. And then you get to see the true destructive power of these white claws or white spikes, rather. And they come out of nowhere and they tackle these Humvees and send them flying they rip the doors off and you actually get to see that these creatures not only are they incredibly dangerous and smart and in like instinctual and they can smell a, a drop of blood from like a mile away like a shark is that they have a command structure which makes them even more terrifying because mm-hmm. there's literally after the humvees got taken out one of them sits on top of the humvees and sort of hides in the smoke that the the Humvee fire caused and the red smoke is causing. He's hiding himself. He's camouflaged himself so they have a harder time hitting him in the smoke screen. And he's calling out orders, like coordinated orders. He's like, well, not 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 in words, not in words, but it's using its uh, guttural calling. It's clicking, and it's like pointing all the spikes towards this way, all the spikes towards this one. And he's like, even like telling, like I'm guessing, is telling him he's like, move up in formation because he has them all jumping from here to here, like there's a command structure and you're like, holy crap. If they weren't terrifying any of you, there's instinctual animals. They're smart and have a command structure. And that's, that's one of the reasons I I loved the movie. The movie is I loved the creatures more than the movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I just think I'm like, I want to see more of these things or I, I couldn't find them. I, I wanted to see the person who uh, the character design. But that was really hard. All I could find was find the creatures. Out all I could find was like lead CGI director and lead this person. I was like, I want to know the person who came up with the creature. Yeah, there's usually a, a singular person. Yeah, but maybe it was a part of the writer too. So maybe, but I wanted to give that person props for making some awesome monsters. Yeah, and that, that scene did a great just, job. You're like, oh, we have hope, and then I'm talking immediately <laughs> yeah. dashed, like yeah. ground to the dirt dash because they ripped the Humvees apart. But let's uh, 
let's fast forward past the oh no the firebomb oh no cowan oh no nora oh no fire you didn't save nobody and back to the um where they have the the few now have survived that initial encounter yeah and we still got what is it five days left or something yeah six we basically have uh Charlie's character, Dorian's character, and Dan Forrester's character, pretty much the only ones that we were initially introduced to that that survive and are back. And um, so, and again, like you, so I guess we can jump right into uh, Romeo Command. You were kind of talking about that earlier. Who? Yeah. We, we find out her real name. Yeah. I, I felt that this happened too quick, almost. Because like, at this point in time, we're officially entering Act Three. Well, so Act you th- say you say too quick, but we are like basically an hour into the movie. Well, an hour and some changes to the movie. Well, he means too quick by introducing this character's name, probably. Yeah, because we 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 have only spent like ten minutes with this character. Like, she's been in his ear the entire time, but this entire time was only like thirty minutes. And she's been talking to him. She's like, "All right, Dan. All right, you know, Captain. I think she just calls him Dan." Or, well, well, there's not going by his, his name. His uh, Forster rank, uh, rank name, or she just she's like, all right. He's like, hey, he's like, who's talking? And he's like, Dan, Dan Forrest. She's like, okay, Dan, I'm a level with you. And she just calls him Dan. Okay, all the way to that point. And then well, it, we should it, say real fast, this character is played by Yvonne Strahovski too, from Chuck fame is mainly what she's known for. But I, I know uh, her from Chuck, but the main thing me and Drew know her from is uh, in the Mass Effect series. She's Miranda Lawson. Yeah, she's the, the voice and mocap for uh, one of the characters in Mass Effect 2 and 3, I think. Yeah, but she did Chuck for Mass Effect. Yeah, but <laughs> Just I, I never watched Chuck. Insanely beautiful is an understatement. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so go ahead. So so we get to meet Romeo Command finally. And it's revealed very quickly, like almost this is the thing I talked about. They do a lot of pacing and I don't know where they got to like let's kind of bup up 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 the scene real quick so that we can get to the meat of the thing and get to where I want to be. Like they're, they they don't do a lot of build up. I guess they don't have time for build up considering that the world's ending, but there's no tension build up for this really. Cuz uh someone like after Dan finishes talking to Dorian, they're like, "Hey, Romeo Command wants to talk to you, uh, Mr. Forrester, follow me. He follows to this person, and just one of the people salutes, and they're like, uh, Corporal Forrester? He's like, Dan's like, Corporal? I'm not a corporal. And they're like, they're <laughs> talking to me. And it's revealed, it's, oh, it's uh, Yvonne Straczynski, or Straczynski, however you pronounce her name. Right. And he's like, oh, okay, that's cool. Your name's Forrester, too? How do you spell that? And she's like, you know, with one R. He's like, huh, where are your people from? And she's like, well, same place yours are. And he's and like, he's <laughs> like staring into her eyes at this part, at this point, yeah. I guess. Like, yeah. And like, but you, do, do you feel that too, that it was almost revealed too quickly? And she, and he was like, Muri? And you find out that this is his daughter from tw- 28 years in the past. This, this is her now. <laughs> trying to help save the world but the do you see what i mean though like it felt did it feel too fastly revealed for you well like i said um a second ago like he was looking into her eyes and i think to myself like my own daughter whose eyes i look into all the time you know it's like 
your eyes never change, you know? And like, that's the one thing about anybody that, that never changes, no matter when you, like, if you and I don't see each other for 30 years and we see each other in a supermarket, we'll be like, looking at each other like, man, that dude looks familiar. And I'm looking at your eyes, you know, but, and he was, whenever she was saying that and he was talking about, you spell that two R's or he was kind of looking at her eyes like, Oh my gosh, I know who you are, you know? So in that sense, I don't think it was because I think he, he just, he recognized her, you know, it started clicking, you know, we are this long into the future. You're about that age. Oh my gosh, your eyes, you're my daughter. And he is a smart dude. Like, you know, he's a, he has a lot of like, I'll be, I'll be, he teaches like high school science, but he has a lot of, right. um, I, I don't want to say saying. science background, but he has a lot of like ologists, you know, he's in his background that he's studied and stuff. So he's a smart dude. And then we yes. get that cool reveal. So obviously he wants to know, you know, some stuff and he goes in the hugger and she says no. And, you know, we got to keep this, you know, strictly professional. Yeah. Um, which, you know, kind of devastates him at first, but he understands and, but he starts asking questions and then finally she gives him some answers about their past. I get what, what happened but in the gap. Yeah. Cause he wants to know, he, uh, he wants to know some things. She's like, I don't think it's, you know, appropriate for me to say this. And he keeps kind of digging and digging. And whilst he's digging into his past, they're also revealing, how close the world is to actually being destroyed, what was inside those ampules that were so important and that they're actually working on a toxin that they've tested and that it kills males, but not the females. And they, they, they reveal that the Queens, these females are so much bigger and smarter and more dangerous than the males. And that all this is being revealed whilst Dan is, is still begging for inf- information about when he dies. He's like, how do I die? And, you know, he's like, oh, I bet your mom's so proud of us. And then she kind of you get hints that there's more going on that we don't get revealed until a little bit later. But this is a big old it's like a breather to another massive action scene. Yeah. Because it's just a, it's like a bridge point, I would call it, because now we have now we know about the ampules. We know about the the the, the virus. We know that they it works on the males, but not the females and that where our next big quest is to now go capture a, a female. female. Yep. How'd you feel about that scene? The, Were they the, capturing the female? Yeah. I mean, I liked it. I liked seeing what those, the female was capable of, where she literally just picked a guy up and bit him in half. And um, if, if one tentacle was astray uh, or not, you know, tied down the damage that she could do and, I, it was an intense scene. A lot of people died, um, some carnage. But uh, I mean, again, it it felt like it was you know, this it went on too long. I, I guess I would say that. Yeah, I felt the reveal of the queen. I felt that it was lackluster because they did this whole reveal with her like down in these uh in these pits, and they got her supposedly doped up with some tranks, and they have all these. I don't think they've tranked her yet. Oh, yeah. They said, oh, she's feeling it, man. She's feeling it because they talked about that they had tranked her. She's fighting it, but she's feeling it. And they had all these like grapple hooks and hook guns like shot into this dark tunnel. And you're like, oh, man, this is going to be a really cool reveal when they pull this queen out. And they pull the queen out and she's just a bigger version of the white spikes. They weren't any like real 
no, there weren't even any distinct marks. She was just bigger. And I was like, oh, that's a kind of a letdown. I was expecting her maybe be a slightly different color, have a few, maybe have like four tentacles instead of two. I was expecting something, but she was literally just bigger. And I, that was a very lackluster, even I'm trying to like uh, other things. Uh, first thing that pops in my head, because it's an alien type situation, is you think, oh, you have xenomorphs. Xenomorphs look cool. But then you see the queen. You can see that she's the the, the xenomorph queen from uh, Alien 3. You can see that it's a direct relation, but it, it, again, it is much bigger, but it has a distinctly shaped head. It has extra arms, and it's like it's it's enough subtle differences that you're like, oh, okay, but this was literally just bigger. Didn't have anything extra. Wasn't it was just bigger. And I was like, oh, well, that's kind of lame. I didn't, especially since they hide it in the shadows first. And yeah, they, they, they make this huge buildup that we're going to, and then they pull it out into the sunlight, and it's just a bigger version. Huh. Yeah, I mean, I to be honest, I, I didn't even think about that. But, uh, but do you see what I mean? They, they did yeah. all the buildup, and it was yeah. just kind of like, here you go. <laughs> Here's a bigger thing that you already seen in great detail earlier. It's just so you just bigger. wanted her to be like a different color and stuff? or Just slight, some sort of slight difference. Let her have an extra arm. Again, if she had just had four tentacles, I'd be like, okay, cool. But like in the heat of battle, like it, it, you really wouldn't be able to tell off in the distance that that's the queen. It's just bigger. Like if she needed some, I felt that she needed some sort of distinguishing feature hmm. other than just being bigger. I'll give it to you. They could have been more creative with that, I guess. Because with the amount of detail they'd already put into the creature itself, because it's also revealed in this scene too, which uh, I found very, very irksome. Because in the scene, she kind of breaks free a little bit when they're trying to capture her. And they're like, oh no, Queen's on the loose. We need, you know, we need cover on hole two or whatever. And some dude fucking with fire. Yeah, comes out of nowhere and uncorks a napalm thrower launching fire and you're like whoa, 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 whoa these things don't like fire why are we shooting with regular bullets instead of flamethrowers man like she why, 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 why are we burning everything yeah she was terrified admittedly of most things in nature are terrified of fire i'm like why don't we because i know for a fact there is a round that you can put in like shotguns and grenade launchers and it's called dragon rounds have you ever heard of these Mm-mm. It's literally short burst like fireballs, and they're literally called dragon rounds. It's something you can to, buy. Try to bring the real world into this movie. Well, they're doing so well at keeping realism, and they're like, mm-hmm. we they have present days military knowledge and intelligence and everything behind them, but all we got are regular bullets inside these some machine guns. We ain't got hollow points. Yeah. We don't have someone with a well, because the other thing is one character has a shotgun and destroys these things, but everyone else has a submachine gun and they're like, it's reflecting off the armor. That's why you get aim for the belly and the abdomen. Like they were severely underprepared when in this scene, people who have the advantage, the people who've been fighting these things for a long time, still kind of get their asses kicked. And one dude's got a flamethrower that's super effective. Why doesn't everybody have some sort of flamethrower? Yeah, I mean, I guess does the does the flamethrower just piss them off, or does it kill them? I mean, even later, uh, there's a moment uh, in the, f- the final act. In the, well, no, it's in the final part of this third act, where 
the fire is proven incredibly efficient. It burns away their flesh and everything in one scene. Like it's it's incredibly effective. But you know what scene I'm talking about on the on the carrier? Yeah, on the carrier. Yeah. Because that fire, they shoot the canister in the fire, but we'll get to that in a minute. But the fire is effective. Why are we using subpar weaponry? Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, Supply, at maybe. the very least, have someone on your team with one of those things fending them off, you know what I'm saying? So you can accomplish your mission. But you know, yeah, I mean, good point. Because I just found, I was like, really? Like, it, it, it was immediately effective, but sorry, I'm getting like that part. It's just like... The fire got you heated. It did. The fire got me heated. And the fact that, like, again, she was just not distinct enough. Yeah. But one cool thing uh, I actually really enjoyed... I've never seen someone do this in a movie, and I hope I'd like to see it happen more often. I thought it was pretty cool. But when they're trying to tame the queen, now we know Miri, she goes down there. She's like the, the again, commanding officer. So she's leading the attack and she goes gung ho to try to get the, the queen's attention. And so she, she has this Kevlar body armor that she takes off in mid fight and wraps it around her forearms and uses it as a, like a, a shield to draw mm-hmm. the attention of the thing and it's attacking her body armor, but she has attention. I was like, that was really cool. Like I've never seen that done in a movie and I actually really enjoyed. I really enjoyed the action in the movie. Yeah. See in the scene. Yeah. Kind of push comes to shove. They, they got the queen, but then this whole time she's as they have her kind of being put to sleep, they finally get her, wrangled into this cage after she's killed half the people that came with her because these guys suck at their jobs i guess actually no this is probably the first time i think they've captured a queen so it's really intense situation but they were again fully unprepared for a situation that they should have been more prepared for having been fighting these things for the last 10 years or so well we also got to say how bare bones the military is at this point too right it is true that is very true but this whole time she's uh the queen screaming and um swarm a huge massive swarm just comes like a tidal wave over the trees and everything and this this is where i agree with you on the fire like it would have been handy for chris pratt or a couple guys to have some flamethrowers and just ward those things off or flamethrowers attached to the damn helicopters yeah like, cause I agree I, with you on that. And they're, they're just shooting them with, with, like you said, those bullets. And it's just all those bullets are doing is pissing them off and they just keep charging. But no, I mean, excellent point on the fire. They should have elaborated on that some more. Um, yeah, there, there's no arguing that unless there's something that we both just missed on that. I don't know. Yeah. But this, this did reveal two. This has this scene again had two pretty cool parts. As every because we're kind of down in this ravine where these uh, the queen's nest is, and this swarm is coming. There's a bunch of helos helicopters around the area, just kind of surveying, and we get to see one more thing: these ridiculous white spikes can do. Do you know what I'm, t- you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they jump off the cliffs and then they turn into damn like what a chinchilla flying squirrel. <laughs> They spread their <laughs> gliders. Yeah, they spread their arms out even further and this webbing and they glide off these cliffs. I'm like, if they weren't destructive enough, they have fl- like gliding capabilities now. So a fall is not going to kill them. Great. 
I wonder Excellent why they job on the creature for sure. I wonder why they weren't gliding in the city from like the tops of buildings and stuff. Because I, I they're saving that reveal for later. In the I movie. guess they were saving that reveal for then, but well, also it's a, a different setting. Like you have an urban setting versus a jungle setting. Yeah, but I think they would jump off of buildings. Like say that when they're running, when the when the teams were running on the street, they'd be jumping off the building, gliding down on top of them. Yeah, I think they were just saving the reveal for later in the movie or for a different scene. And one thing that they talk about at this point too is those th- the only mission of those things are is to eat and to reproduce. So yeah. I mean that they're just all, all they want to do is to, they're just looking at all these people's food and they're the, what they show them attacking like a herd of animals and oh, yeah. The, but they, that, I mean they're just eating it? everything in sight. Just all, all that will be left on Earth are those things. Literally, it's like we are food. Mm-hmm. And they are hungry. Yeah, we're yeah, exactly. I, I did like line. I didn't enjoy that line. Yeah, but besides them revealing that these they're flying squirrels as well as everything else, there's an amazing scene where the, all this huge horde jump off the cliff and they're you know using their spider monkey flying squirrel abilities, and this one genius pilot goes eh, and he tilts. <laughs> And the helicopter, he tilts a little bit to the right and just a slew of just, yeah. just get splattered by the helicopter. And <laughs> that was amazing. Yeah. I think another yeah. one, another one of the pods, I don't know if he, I don't know if he was crashing or if he started tilting his blades towards the ground too. I think bit. he was going down. Was he going down? I think crashing? they had too, too much weight. And so he just decided to screw it. He's going to take as many out as he could. So he tilts his helicopter forward and drags his nose across and just which essentially is how Chris Pratt and Miri or uh, Dan Forrester and Miri get away because that dude, oh, yeah, because they're in a, uh, a Humvee because their helicopter goes down. Yeah. And then, yeah. and then big, you know, they win, the, the queen gets away via the helicarry, but they got to deal with the aftermath of the horde. So a bunch of people get massacred, but a bunch more people manage to still get away. And then, just Chris Pratt and Miri by themselves have managed to escape on this Humvee. And they just basically go until I think it runs out of gas. I don't think it runs out of gas. They just go to, they can't go anymore to the hit coastline. I think it was. Mm-hmm. And then she pops off a flare and then we get a pretty emotional scene. Uh, you want to talk about this one? Well, yeah, I mean, this is the point. She kind of answers some of his questions and we find out that he died in a car wreck um, he had left. He had left the family. Um, basically, the same story as what we learned that Chris Pratt's father, after coming back from uh, Nam, you know, he just wasn't the same person, and he didn't treat his family very good, and basically was an outcast of them and left them. And we kind of find out that Chris Pratt's character did the same thing to his family. She tells him, she says, "You you left us." He's like, "No, no, I didn't. There's there's no way. I mean, like, there's no way I would do that to you guys, but." Apparently the effect of, you know, again, we, we talked, we talked about the grief counselor, what his wife was doing, just the effect that this thing had on everybody. Apparently when he got back, he was just as bad as anybody else. And, you know, kind of ostracized himself from his family, wasn't the same person. And um, she talks about the last time she saw him was the last time he took his last breath and he apparently got in a car wreck and died. So, but yeah, you go think, ahead. You think that's uh I don't want to get to the, the, time traveling aspects of all of that but uh there's a lot of there could, there could be a lot of time travel 
questions there. If you, I know if y'all if you thought if y'all thought about that stuff, it's where if he didn't come to the war and come back, and he wouldn't have left his family. But he only left his family because he went to the war in the future and then coming back. There's a lot of back and forth time stuff there. You don't think about that at all. Oh, I do How a time, little bit. It says, you, it says it keeps the time travel simple, but him, him. I think he he may talk. He may talk to his those some of those scenes with his daughter. It's too much if you're if you're trying to keep the time travel simple. Well, for her, she doesn't. This never happened for her, which is the weird paradox thing. Is she doesn't remember him going off to war. He was never happy about his job about not getting what he wanted in life. So I thought she was upset because he went and then he comes back. He comes back from this. So he hasn't come back yet, but he will come back in the, he will come back to her, but be so messed up from this war. that He's a different person. And that messes his family up. Like you say, he ends up being like his dad, but from this war, like, well, that's not how I understood it at all. Is that not how it, not what, how it, because well, well, for her, the war never happened. She doesn't. She doesn't know that the war happened. His future daughter does know. She's fighting the war. Yeah, she's fighting she, the war she's now. The same memories of when. But when he left, when she was a kid, the war wasn't going on in her timeline. That's where the weird paradox. That was because she said bye to him, right? He t- yeah. he told her he was going off to the 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 wife. Told her you have to tell her. You have to tell her you're leaving. So she, the daughter knows he went off in to the, the current timeline. Of Chris Pratt and young Muri, but old Muri, how she sees it is this war never, no one ever came back in time and told her about a war. They're fighting the war, and it's two timelines because she had no recollection of the war. So Chris, uh, no, sure. so the way the way I took it was because she's like the way I the way the way she explains it is she says you were never happy. You didn't get what you wanted in life and you were never happy and it turned back on you and it turned back on the marriage. So I assume that is in the beginning of the movie before the time travel thing happened when he didn't get that job originally. It grew inside of him the resentment for not getting that job. And so that timeline when time travel never happened, he eventually got mad. That's the problem with time travel is that that always happened. Yes and no, because she doesn't (laughs) know the war happened. She's fighting, but she's living the war. She's living the war currently, but her past, there was no people coming from the future because otherwise, why would they still be fighting? No, see, this is, this, we, can't, see we, we, can't, we can't do a podcast about time travel. I think we all have got. <laughs> <laughs> so, th- th- this is the way that I took it. He, he, he goes off to war, he, he, he does the seven days, he comes back. She knows, young Miri knows. In the current timeline that he did that, he comes back, lives his life the next seven years or whatever, dies in a car wreck. Young Miri and the mom go on living together. Young Miri goes to MIT, becomes the scientist. Again, they're living a normal life because the war hasn't happened yet in, in her kid timeline. But her dad had gone to the war and come back in that timeline so he's living with those demons is the way i took it like that that going there was his vietnam he came back and like you said he probably never got the job he wanted and and all that and he he just flamed out and became his dad and ended up dying seven years later but young muri goes on becomes a scientist at mit and then whenever this war does happen down the line she's prepared she 
grows into what we see her in the future. So maybe she prepares herself for the war. So, it, it, so either way, her young Miri's in the same timeline that experiences the war, and he's tore up because of the war. Like it's the same war. That's not how. Maybe I'm way off, but that's the way. I have I no idea. It. Well, I, mean, I didn't. It. Didn't she? Well, she says anything like she does all she can to use science to prepare for the war. Like she knew the she war. She never was... once. No, she doesn't say anything like that. She went to MIT to be like him, to be smart like her dad. That's the only reason she did that. Because she doesn't little... know the war is coming. They always know. They're... Different timelines. <laughs> she didn't know. So when she was watching that soccer game and those people came out and gave that speech that we talked about, yeah. she didn't hear that? Because in original, in original Miri Romeo actuals, she never had someone go back in time and tell her. The only people who went back in time was young Mary. Her timeline, they're the ones who did it. But she never saw that speech. Her future self never saw that speech because it didn't happen to her. It happened to young her in a different timeline. That's what that's how I'm seeing it. Maybe. So she, yeah, young I'm, her I'm, never I'm, grew into, the, into Romeo command her? Yeah, because it's two separate timelines. It's two. Because otherwise... Because you take the Chris Pratt at the end of the movie who goes back. He's like, everything I learned from you, I'm never going to leave you. And it it completely negates the future timeline. It's a different timeline. Because if he would have went back with the knowledge that he had, then her future wouldn't happen. Different timeline, different branches. Because he goes back with the knowledge that he would leave. They're they're using the branching. There's many time time travel theories that they're using. It's a a branching narrative. Like, do you get what I'm saying? I'm sorry. I'm going to give him a about... (laughs) So so he so just because <laughs> yeah, we got we gotta move on from we gotta move on from time travel. I think I'm right. I, that's how I see it, because it's two separate timelines. Yeah. So he has this voiceover at the end. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is he saying that voiceover? He says, you know, he's like, she'll never know you. And I've never told them I've never I will never tell her about you, referring to future Mary when he's talking about young Mary he's like I've never I've never told her about you she will never know about you but because of you I will never leave this family so therefore when she revealed to him that he leaves the family she augmented a timeline a branching path so for this future Mary her past her past is she never had she remembers watching a, a random soccer game with her dad, and that's it. She People didn't appear out of nowhere for her timeline, paradoxically. So in, the, in the movie, I mean, at the very mm-hmm. end, he says, I never told her about our seven days together. Exactly. Like, he yeah. never told her about the future. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So. Does she, <laughs> so, so does she end up the same? So, so if, he st- if he goes back. And he changed, and he's he doesn't die in that particular timeline. Does she? So she's no longer that. She's no longer going to be that Miri that he met in the future mm-hmm. at all. That timeline is is burnt to cinders. It doesn't exist anymore because of this new one. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it still exists in the multiverse because ever going multiverse theory and all that fun stuff. But this timeline, he goes back in time. He corrected it. It now takes a new arcing path where he never leaves the family. They live happily ever after. And she still will go probably end up going to MIT and being similar choices because she's smart like her dad. Mm-hmm. But, but now the war never happened. Exactly. 
This is good stuff. All right, let's move on. (laughs) So now let's get to like the final. But doesn't he bring the doesn't he bring the the way to solve it? The weapon back in time. Yeah. But if they never knew about if he's in the timeline where they didn't, I don't know. He's mind. in his timeline where they, do where they actually them. went back in time. Not the original. Again, this is the Terminator thing, not the original timeline. Yeah. So, it, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll just, we'll run through this real fast. So, he and we, we just said the, the voiceover at the end, he says, I'll never tell her about our seven days together. So, he goes to that yeah. mission. That mission's one day. The rest of the time, he's literally with his daughter and they're trying to figure you know, the two scientists together. Yeah, they they're working together. Having, what, four or five days left with the queen because they get the queen in tow and they take them to the central hub where yeah. the jump link is. But he, but he, but they're to get like he's with his daughter for basically that whole time. You know, yeah. they capture the queen, they bring her back, they develop this the serum or whatever. They're like kill a, them all. ten thousand different tests. The, the computer's yeah. just constantly running sims mm-hmm. and sims and sims. So they're working together day and night. Uh, and she's as dedicated as her as her dad is, and we see how you know, like you said earlier, how smart she is. So, the, long story short, they developed the serum. Ta-da! Uh, so <laughs> Ta-da. She, that's a good word for it. Ta-da. She, she, she tells him that he has to take it back with him whenever he jumps, so they can kill, like you said, kill them all from from then from from the current. They need to go find them and kill them to prevent it from happening. But the the whole thing happens. The carrier gets ambushed or whatever by these things. They jump the wall. That's the other um, thing. Is there only one queen? No, there's not only one queen, is there? See, that's the other thing. They say it's a queen, not the queen. Like, each hive has a queen. So why did every single white spike on Earth, I guess, swarm the ocean for this one queen? I Was it everyone on Earth? Not on Earth, but there We're was in that area. There were so many. It seemed yeah. like, but I don't know how fast also, they breeding. That place when, when it when it first goes the area, it seems like it's some big safe, some big safe place where humanity's got their last stand, where there's there's no problems there and they're okay. But when the queen calls, the white spikes just like swim up to it and tear the whole place apart. Yeah. There's so many of them. They just send them horde after horde after horde to this minefield. Yeah. Well, it just seemed like it, like the, I don't know, I get the feeling they were trying to push it as being a safe place. But it was severely underprepared. Yeah. Yeah. Again, bare bones military. So I guess that's (laughs) somewhat feasible there. Um, So they, they storm this place. Uh, I guess we won't go into crazy details, but we can Murray, if you want. I mean, like, so we have a spoiler warning. So if you want to do de- go, well, no, no, I was just details. saying, like, to not get into like you know, it, it get my my main gripe was this movie was I think some of these scenes went on too long and there were too many of them. But like this this whole battle on this on the carrier, it just to me it seemed so long. Like there was long. they they were hiding, you know, uh, like ones around the corner and they're hiding and um there was just too much of that in the scene and it went on too long but too much tension building i say it seems like the end of the movie when there's a whole fourth act and that's yeah that's what we talked about earlier this this movie stuff i was reading a lot of people consider it a four act movie because at at this point you'd think it'd be over but then it goes on for a whole other thing um but but long story short Murray ends up dying. Uh, Chris Pratt has to leave her. He gets zapped back. He has the the stuff. 
He has the serum. I, I, sorry, I, I did like that scene. He comes back, and it, everyone comes back. They t- they say early on that your wrist marker, that if your wrist marker deems you uh, alive after seven days, it'll transport you back. Right. And so you get some people coming back, and there's literally one dude who has no legs and no arm, mm-hmm. but he has the arm that's got the, the thing on. So some of these people mm-hmm. come back brutal. Yeah. And so. We- the, the the whole the whole thing that we've been through this is the end of their tour so this is him charlie dory and everybody um coming back their first time go ahead i didn't mean to interrupt but i was just gonna well, say that you good yeah but when, when he comes back um the last thing uh romeo actual adult mary gives him is a actual vial of the only vial they have of the full-blown toxin that can kill females as well as males and he's gripping it in his hand and he kind of like, he's kind of coming in and out of consciousness in and out of consciousness. And when he wakes up, uh, he's actually speaking to commander Hart, the, the young woman who gave that awesome speech earlier and was part of their training. And he's like, we got to go back. We got to go back. And they're like, we can't go back. The, the jump link went down. We have, we cannot time travel anymore. The jump link is gone. The war is over. We've lost. There's no way for us to go back. And he's like, what, what about the vial? The vial? Where's the vial? And they're like, you have it. And they're like, we tried to take it away from you, but we couldn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it was passed out strength. He was gripping it so hard. They couldn't pluck this tiny little glass vial out of his hand. Right. The fact that they literally just said, we couldn't take it from you. <laughs> I thought that was just a pretty awesome little funny scene. Yeah. Yeah. For how sad and dramatic it just was from the sprinkle, that tiny little sliver of comedy on top of it. Yeah. And so at this point, they find out that the jump link is is gone, that they can't he can't jump anymore. So after they distribute the serum, he can't go back, do a jump and, and help her or whatever to prevent her from dying. He's stuck there. So now he has to figure out where these things came from and 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 attack it from that angle so go ahead and this is the part where i again another one of those scenes where i feel the movie is too long and too short at the same time is the leaps in logic that they start doing here fairly quickly like in a row and like how come no one in the future thought of this at all out of what the leaps of logic they're like oh you know, we know that the, 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 the aliens first appeared in 2048 and they're like, there was no crash ship in 2048. And then his wife's like, well, why don't you look at 46 or 47? We've been looking in the wrong year. Oh, no. And I was like, did no one else think of that? Why did this one random, like, you know, did you see what I mean? Like the leap of logic. And then that snowballs into this massive, massive thing that leads them to like, Ooh, let me, he's like, I'll use the connections that I have. Let me find uh, Dorian who's drinking away his sorrows because now that the portals, the, the teleports, they, the tele, uh, the time travel devices have gone offline. There's world rioting over the war because it's, it's, it's not our war. It's not our war. It's not these people's in the current times. Well, now they can't fight no more. And now they can't fight. So no that's more my answer to your, your thing with the, uh, 
how do they not have this information or whatever? Because I think it got so chaotic so fast and they, all they could do was fight these things that the war started and all they could do was fight these things. We talked about how uh, bubble gum taped, you know, together the, yeah. the, the stuff was just to create the time warp. And, um, but so much of humanity was wiped out so fast. It was like, they couldn't fight it. All they could do was try to survive. So Again, the story is yeah. told from his this character's point of view, suspension of disbelief. But I mean, yeah, I mean it's a it's a it's a it's an action movie, and I, I take your points. Uh, I, I know what you're saying with coming back. Why why his wife? You know, out of all people, not even a scientist or anything. But isn't that how it usually goes? That we're sitting here racking our brains on something, and the wife goes, "What about this?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is true. Well, and all it takes is a lot of times it's just an outside perspective. You're thinking too hard on the problem. And someone comes along, but you just talk yourself out of that one. I mean, yeah, I mean, I know I get it, but like, no one, not a like, no, no one else in the I future, mean, not one guy, just like one night on his off duty, they're playing poker with his buddies, and they're just like, <laughs> I don't know, like, it just seems weird. That, no, like, I know no what one, you're saying. Good point, point taken. I'm not trying to like be a a, an absolute dick to this movie. No, this anything, is what but, you need to be. This is yeah. what this podcast is about, man. Don't hold back. But yeah, but, but again, so they're like, um, he goes after this reveal. His wife, oh, we're looking at the wrong gear. Like, oh, we're stupid. He's like, <laughs> oh, we're stupid. And so he goes and finds the one person that he knows, uh, Dorian who has been drinking away his sorrows because they're not going to war anymore. And he's like, well, if I'm going to die from cancer in a couple of months, I'm just going to die drunk. I don't care anymore. But he goes back there, gives him a real heartfelt speech about, hey, help me protect my daughter. We're going to save the future. Do you still have that claw? Because Dorian actually has a souvenir from literally, it says one of the first. Not a souvenir, a reminder. Yeah, yeah. sorry. My bad, (laughs) Dorian. It's a reminder. And so they take this claw that Dorian carries around with him as a reminder. And they go and meet Charlie, who you find out earlier in the movie is a, he's an he's H and R at a really big tech company. So they take this claw, take it to him, take it to Charlie. And they're like, Hey, can you analyze this? And we're trying to figure out where these things may have landed. We know it may be somewhere in Russia. And then they dig, they kind of, I don't know how, I guess they break the claw down and they dig for microscopic dirt, microscopic ash and stuff. Sub a foreshadowing. Like, yeah. And so they, they're like, oh, yeah, it's not sediment. It's not dirt. It's ash. Volcanic but it's ash. Volcanic ash from China. So we're confused. And then it kinda, you're like, who do we know about, knows, knows about volcanoes? And you're like, <sighs> Mind blow, mind explosion to so that guy, that that Martin. little high school kid, the but hero, it, the true hero of the movie, Martin. Oh yeah, <laughs> they couldn't have done anything without Martin's volcano knowledge. And he and he took he took every advantage. He's like, give me a laptop, thanks, doll. He was really hamming it up. Charlie's like, like I love this kid. I would have I would have killed for a moment like this in high school. Is what he says. Yeah. <laughs> And then all this, like, but like, you have to admit, like, it's going fast. Like, this pacing is ridiculously fast. But I don't know how else they could have did it. Like, oh, let's do a montage of them flying an airplane or driving a car or something from because we don't know how close these people are to one another. 
Right. You have no idea their geographical location to one. Well, it's like you said, when, when, they, when they ask about vol- volcanoes, it's like it's they say that all everybody's like sitting around and it's a hard cut to the classroom with Martin and all the soldiers, all the people are there in the room. Like there's no like from one place to another, but it's a very yeah, hard, a lot of hard cuts and fast pace. And then he explains to them about the millennium eruption. He gives them this, all this scientific detail of how Ash could have ended up there. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, can you, you know, he's like, oh, and then they realize, oh, they didn't land in 2048. They landed much earlier they just thawed out due to global warming. Like, it's all this, like, I guess it takes just two, three super smart dudes to outsmart an entire military, I guess, in this case of the hell I explained in the movie. Is that how it always goes, though? Every yeah. TV show, every movie, anything, yeah, though? <laughs> or or all, all those 90s action movies you, you mentioned at the beginning. They always right. saw uh, well, one Jeff, or two smart people. Jeff that Goldblum's is... character figures everything out that, the home military couldn't do and yes give them a cold give them a virus let's make them sick. that's what's fun though that's what again with writing and movies you want you don't relate to a science a nuclear physicist scientist you relate to an average dude that comes up with an idea so that's what makes it fun you know what i'm saying you want to be able to relate to a character yeah i, I can i guess <laughs> again that's how every successful chuck we were talking about chuck earlier an average dude that becomes like this super special agent that's what's fun that i mean again i mean it's you know that's how all these things are but but then we we continue to rocket forward at breakneck speeds because now that they have this knowledge of where the possible location for these creatures are they're like hey let's go talk to this head honcho who ran all this future ops. And then he's like, we can't go into that. The world's in chaos. Uh, everyone's closed their borders to us. What are you, some kind of idiot? We can't do that. And they're like, who do we know that would be willing to, you know, break international law? <gasps> J.K. Simmons, Papa Bear. <laughs> and it's just kind of all spiral, kind of circles back around to, to J.K. Simmons and his, you know, hate for governments and willingness to break all laws. But now he has you know, his ragtag group of team. And again, somehow, uh, even though they're not really working on it anymore, uh, Colonel Hart and her second command woods, I think at Greenwood or something like that, they've managed to not mass produce fully, but make a significant amount of toxin to kill these creatures. I'm like, how, how did you make that? I thought the world hated y'all. I just thought that, like, how did they get their hands on so much so fast? It was only just the little, the little batch they gave to them, though, wasn't it? It wasn't like it wasn't like a... I mean, it was suitcases full. Yeah. Several, so we, they were unloading it. Like, we have, we bought all the serum that we could make, and they're just unloading suitcases after suitcase. I'm like, Jesus, that's a lot of serum for them to not have funding for it. They weren't doing any more jumps, so I guess I had time to make it. I guess, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm kind of taken over. Do you want to take up from here? No, Steve? no. I mean, this this is a because I'm kind of crapping stuff. over this part of the movie, and I, I don't want to do that. It was this last this fourth act that we keep calling it was extremely rushed. I 100% agree with you on it. Um, it seems like all the movies that we've done on this podcast, that, that this being the third one, all have kind of been the same thing, like building up 
that takes his time and then that the end is just like rushed and there's no different in this one i completely 100 percent agree with you all these things just kind of fall into place suspension of disbelief all over the place um they they try to get uh the military and the ever the government to take them out to Russia to do this and they say no. So like you said, they get with JK Simmons, they go out there and they're looking for this one area that that this place could be. And JK Simmons, I'll say this real fast and I'll give it back to you. He says, this is like looking for an ice cube. <laughs> you know, yeah. they're they're literally in a, a desert of ice, you know, this just big Russian Iceland and he says they're looking for this one area and he says we're looking for an ice just like looking for an ice cube but go ahead we're talking about stuff moving at a breakneck pace and uh, funding and stuff they they have this jumbo cargo jet that we're not entirely sure where it comes from but JK owns it he, oh, wait a minute. he might, might have stole it doesn't uh, he live on our airbase yeah I, mean, I think it's, it might be his he says he fixes planes for this rich guy. So it just yeah. might, it's a plane. He all has. that. Yeah. That's the explanation for that. Cause they do build all that in that yeah. dialogue. Yeah. So we, we have this jumbo airplane. Uh, we have all of the, uh, all the serum that these two uh, future kids, future military guys somehow managed to get funding for and make. Everybody has a snowmobile and everybody has like, did these two army dudes just steal everything from the military base? I guess like they don't really like I don't need it explained to me, but for it to have just happened out of nowhere. Like yeah, I mean, I, I would say that I don't JK know. had his connections and the the military they pulled together whatever they could for it. It just see like, it's just boom, we're going here, boom, we got supplies done. I was like, whoa, whoa, okay. But yeah. anyway, yeah. So we're we're searching for the. Uh, the location. Go so the, the gauges and switches on their devices and their snowmobile and everything are acting up. So they realize they're literally right on top of it. So they, again, <laughs> how they get all this stuff, the the equipment and stuff, they have enough to blow up a thousand massive feet of a massive <laughs> thousand of feet of ice to to get to this ship or whatever that's underneath there. So they 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 blow this up. They go down there. They see the white spikes hibernating or whatever in the ship. Start, start using the serum on them. We see what the serum basically just dissolves them. Yeah, they stab them with it and just they turn into basically a gremlin whenever it's sunlight or whatever, and just dissolve into goo. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, so yeah, so that we're we're there now. The chaos ensues. The what this like the fourth or fifth uh, battle with the white spikes. Uh, Dorian is the, the lucky one here that sacrifices himself so everybody can get out of this ship. Um, they pretty much kill all of them except for, again, one female gets away. Um, big battle with that. Chris Pratt, his dad, uh, Charlie, again, the only ones left. Uh, what? Did they show? I, I can't remember what happened to Hart. Did she just die down there with Dorian? I can't remember. Yeah, Hart and Greenwood died down there with Dorian, I think. Okay. Yeah, but we did see the uh, that the pilot of the uh, alien ship was a different kind of alien. Yes, mm -hmm. that is. Yeah, yeah, good pick up there. Uh, but yeah, again, breakneck pace. What was it at the very end there with the the you you picked apart a bunch of stuff, but the thing that I kind of Chris Pratt 
he pretty much fights that uh, female by like, <laughs> so yeah. not even the females, but the normal ones can knock over a Humvee on that one scene. Like you said, they just not like literally ram it, knock it over. But Chris Pratt's strong enough to jump on the back <laughs> of, the, of yeah. the female and like knock her down. There's so like, I'm like, there's only so much suspension of belief what, I can do when you're breaking been, your own could, rules. Has she been jabbed by the venom already at that point? No. And she's been, I, I mean, she's been so. in an explosion and been shot at, but with like a sniper rifle and has like an ice pick or two in her, but and been hibernating for a long time, I guess. Yeah, so I guess, I guess maybe, yeah, I mean, so maybe there's some other factors in there, but still, but I mean, um, she was aggressive and active. I don't, yeah, I do think it was cool because just how resilient and again, how smart these creatures are because they have a couple of again. A couple of these vials of of serum and they manage to stick her at, like once or twice and one of the ones they get her like the first one that gets her like i think is it's either in her arm or in one of her tendrils i think it's in a tendril and so she sees what's happening to her own to the, the poison mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so she goes off like you know fox with his leg trapped in a in a bear trap she literally just rips her own tentacle off well, yeah, Chris it. Pratt thinks she's dead at that point. He's like, yes, like she's dissolving. And then like she just bites her arm off and stops it from spreading. That just was pretty res- cool. Again, how resilient and smart these creatures are. Say while we go back, I said the, the, other, uh, the other alien in the ship, I think it's where they come to realize that the white spikes are really just like a. Like a biological weapon. They're not so much a sentient race as they are just a, like a weapon released on planets, I guess. They're cargo. They're guessing. They yeah. don't know for sure. Yeah. Or, or they're some sort of weapon they, they think released they on were the planet. Just, they think they were just brought there to wipe out the planet. Is what? Don't they say that? But then they, they crash landed on our planet. We went over the, the destination. They crash yeah. landed on our planet. Because they said this looks like a crash landing site. Yeah. Because it's like, because once you get into the ship and you realize everything, you realize the ship is upside down because the pilots are like still buckled into their seats right. upside down. So it's right. definitely a crash site. Yeah. So, I mean, all that, uh, that kind of was cool. I thought I, I like yeah. just like in the alien movies, you know what I'm saying? Whenever they go down, like in the Prometheus and all that stuff, we kind of see some backstory on some of that stuff. I thought that was kind of cool and opened up some, some cool little windows there of other, of other things to, to think about. But um, so yeah, I mean, so now we're there. They they obviously kill the final female. Uh, Chris Pratt goes back home. Everybody gets back together. Wife, daughter, him, the father. Chris Pratt's father gets to be back, a part of the family now, obviously. And good happy ending. <laughs> it kind of does tie it all up nice in a pretty pink bow. Yeah, I, yeah. Guess he just, I guess he just because he goes and fights aliens with his dad, he forgives his dad for the past. Well, because his dad also kind of sort of explains to him in some of the scenes. He's like, "What I went through was because of this, that, and the other." And he was like, "It's because you're a coward." No, yeah. I'd P- I was suffering from PTSD. Ah, you're a coward, Dad. You didn't try. Oh, maybe yeah. I didn't try. You know, it's just kind of like the power of love, family. <laughs> you know, modern si- modern advances in psychotherapy and family counseling mm-hmm. mm. yeah all right well, <laughs> i guess i think i know where your writing's going but what else what else do you want to point out in there any any other like crazy things under hey, discussion let me take a quick gander through my my brain bucket 
I talked about, I, I, I absolutely adore the white spike. Uh, the opening scene. The, you probably go in and do your final, uh, go to your final things and go and do your rating and Steve. Yeah. Can do his. I'm probably, a, you probably, probably want to go first. I assume Steve's going to be higher than yours. Yeah. I'm ready to do ratings. Uh, if you want me to go ahead and go first. Yeah. Go ahead and go first. Uh, for ratings. I will give this when you say your thoughts first. Well, I've, I've given my thoughts. I don't have any more thoughts to say about the movie okay. other than like, I absolutely adored the creature design for the most part, though. I felt lackluster when it, it was lackluster when it came to the matriarch of the, of the family uh, upon second viewing, I did find some of the acting more endearing than I did originally, but you can kind of tell, and some of the scenes that Chris Pratt is kind of phoning it in, in my opinion, and some of the <laughs> some of the definitely some of the more actiony scenes. That's an interesting take. Like, I, uh, I, that's what I thought too. I thought I, I thought a big piece of this movie. I was like, Chris is just phoning this movie. No, in. It, it wasn't near as bad as Fallen Kingdom, Jurassic World Two, Fallen Kingdom, because that was a phone in performance from Chris Pratt. And I almost feel like I don't think it was necessarily Chris's fault because Chris himself is a he's a known genius improver and going off the cuff, off the cuff. But this isn't a funny movie. Not really. It's a more somber movie. So I think because even you look at Guardians, it's a, it's got some really serious moments and it's got good comedy and it's got all that stuff. But this was just trying so hard to be a lot of the time somber. And I don't think they let him off the leash and let him go like he would normally was. I feel like we need you to be serious and we need you to be, you know, this. And I don't think he was maybe not as creatively free as he could have been. So I think that kind of maybe affected. He was like, oh, I got to be kind of dour. And, you know, and I think it kind of maybe in all honesty, I think it maybe affected his performance from not being able to be, you know, Chris Pratt. Do you get what I'm saying? I'm not, I'm trying to, I'm failing to put this in the words, I think. But again, again, like I said, the movie felt too long and too short at the exact same time. Maybe it could have been, I don't know, a single season of a TV show. Cause the budget for this movie was like $200 million. Jeez. It was expensive. Isn't that amazing? It's redonkulous, but imagine $200 million spread across like 10, 45 minute episodes or something. They could have Isn't that more than a Marvel movie in some cases. Yes. And not all, but in some cases it's, uh, well, it's it, all. The, and keep in mind, I mean, this was basically a movie like that, you know, aimed to be like that. It was a theatrical release, you know, planned yeah. initially. So and they, they were definitely uh, Chris Pratt is going to bring in the bucks. Mm-hmm. Chris Pratt is going to bring in the bucks. And I can guarantee that's exactly what they're thinking. But for me, my rating comes, it's going to be a uh, it's going to be two. I felt that coming. It's going to be two broken timeline branches out of five. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Two broken timeline branches out of five broken timeline branches. That's my rating. I felt that coming. I, I would have guessed that was your rating. All right. So how I felt about it, I was ready to give this thing four stars, man, until that fourth act part. It, I mean, I was loving it. Again, I talked about the world that they built, the rules they put in there. I was all on board, loved every character. I thought the comedy was sprinkled in there perfectly. Um, I, I understood the reason everybody was doing what they were doing. Loved the uh, 
scenes between Chris Pratt and his daughter and uh, his wife. Love the dynamic with his dad. Uh, the creature again. We we you raved about that top notch. Um, I didn't think uh, anything about the queen like you did the the female, but the, I, I agree with you on that. That would have been cool if they would have made her a little bit more creative and done a better job with that. Um, so again, up until that fourth act part, I, I was ready to give this thing four stars. And then there was just way too much crammed in there, man. And we kind of went over it with the the whole volcanic ash thing, the um, <laughs> just how they got all this stuff together so fast. And um, it, it just, uh, it was like a whole separate movie at the end of this. Like you said, it could have been a TV show. A whole, this whole fourth act thing was a whole separate movie that just rushed way too fast through it. That, that fourth act was like two stars for sure. Maybe even one star. So I, I don't, I don't want to keep giving movies three stars, but I don't think it was two stars either. Cause I liked, there are a lot of things I liked about it. I can't, I, I can't go as low as two stars and I can't go four stars. So I got to just <laughs> do another damn three star, man. <laughs> That's fine. I mean, do we need to make it bigger? Do we need to make it like out of 10 or is out of five? A lot of fives good. But, just, I mean, we stuck at a three rut right now. We said this though in the in the intro, you know, meet the host thing that we probably were going to get, you There's know, be a, have, bunch have a bunch of three stars, and that's, I mean, that's how movies are. I mean, maybe we could do something like two and a half, or maybe we could do halves. I don't we, know. We but... could do halves if you want, I guess. If I me, mean, because people do that in five star ratings, they do two and a half. It doesn't make that big, that much of a difference. It can in some cases because you're like. Ah. It's not a two star to me. This isn't. This isn't barely above a turd. So I say it. Re- I reason Blake's is a two star is he really struggled to watch it a sec. He really <laughs> did not want to watch it a second time, but he did for the podcast. So because my because I'm not going to tell anybody not to watch the movie. I'm going to tell people like, hey, you know, go watch the movie. It wasn't great. It's not great, but go watch the movie. I will never watch this movie again, ever. I'll tell you that right now. I really will never, see. I, will I, not I have it queued either. up on my screen right now, and I've actually I'll, I'll watch it again. Like maybe even over the weekend. I I love. It was fun. I like, don't. It was wrong. a fun movie. I adore Independence Day. Absolutely love Independence Day, and I like Armageddon. Okay, Armageddon again for me is like really. It was easier to train Oilers how to do rocket stuff then, but whatever. <laughs> Michael Bay. Special effects, this, you this, do you. Those, both of those movies are four stars. I'll tell you right now. Independence Day and easily four. I wouldn't even hesitate to give them either of them four stars. Independence Day, yes. It, Armageddon, it's been a minute since I've actually sat down and watched Armageddon all the way through. Based off memory right now, it would be a three for me. But I adore Independence loved Day. Loved Armageddon. <laughs> love, I love both those movies. Um, but yeah, so <clears throat> this... I'm sorry, man, but I got. I'm gonna give it three, and it's. I said stars, but volcanoes, (laughs) because again, they couldn't have gotten anything if it wasn't for the volcano knowledge from Martin. (laughs) Yeah, that was three volcanoes. Three Three volcanoes, unfortunately. Maybe if you're giving, if you're letting me do halves, I'll say two and a half. Go ahead. I'm sorry. What I would say are are your volcanoes dormant? You have two. You have three dormant volcanoes. You have three active volcanoes. What, what I'll just call get? them ancient volcanoes because that's what Martin was an expert in. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you got to be descriptive in your in your stars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you allow me, I'll say two and a half. But uh, if we're going with, I'll, I'll give it three. 
three three yeah. ancient volcanoes. I really thought you were. I really thought you were going for a four, probably as as, as the podcast went on. I really thought you were leaning towards a four. I, dude, I wanted a four, man, but I can't. I just can't get over that fourth act. But props to to the writer. I think you. I really. I'm going to be watching for him. I think he did a great job. I'm excited about that Methuselah. I'm excited about. I'm going to try to find that Deadfall and watch it. Um, uh, that this. Go ahead. This movie. This movie's uh, already got a sequel plan. It does. Did I? Did, did you, did you I think. I, yeah, I think they're working on a sequel that has, for some reason, somehow like everybody reprising their role, including Yvonne. Hmm. And I'm like, huh? There's no telling what, what they'll do. Maybe they didn't kill all of them and we're going to jump uh, into the future, but not the future future, but our current timeline future. No I don't know how they're going to do it. It's just... Um, anyway, if you want to go ahead, yeah. with your, go ahead and throw Steve this next movie. So our next movie, Steve, if you're ready for it, it's 1983, directed by David Cronenberg, and it is Videodrome, starring James Woods. I've actually seen this movie many times. You have? Okay, yeah. cool. I'm excited. Okay. Yeah. Good we stuff, look, man. Good choice. New watch for us. Is, I haven't, I've no, only I've ever seen the movie in its entirety, like in one sitting. I've seen bits and pieces throughout my entire life, but legitimately, we, we paid a decent amount of money we bought a, the criterion collection when it came to blu-ray so it'll be my first time watching it straight through wow and i which is weird considering how much i love david cronenberg but we'll see he's a genius there's no doubt about it debbie hey did you say debbie harry who and then oh you know who debbie harry is blondie who's blondie the you singer the, oh oh yeah i, I she's no. the female lead in the in video drum Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. I don't know anything about Blondie. <laughs> I knew that it was a band in the 80s, but that's it. I don't I don't yeah, know. Blonde, Blondie, Debbie, Debbie Harry is is the but uh yeah, awesome, man. That's I'm excited about this one. Good uh, choice. Okay, I guess I'll take it here for a second, right for the let, I'll let the guys wrap things up. We are uh the podcast are on a couple of uh, social media things, really just uh, Facebook and uh, Twitter. That's where you could follow the podcast. If you just search the name of the podcast, it should pop up. That's where uh, mostly me, I, I don't I don't think Blake or Steve have any, have even have any access to them. If you want it, you can, I can give it to you. But it's where I post it's just when, when we record, when we're trying to come out. And I try to post, if I remember in the middle of the middle of the week or before the episode comes out, I post little little reminders of the of the movie that was that's coming up so people can try to maybe watch the movie before it comes out yeah. so it's really just reminders and stuff like that on there two other smaller two other things if you if you hadn't heard enough of blake yet uh me and me and blake uh host a di- host a different podcast a video game podcast the sister or brother podcast to this one this podcast spawned out of the other other podcast that podcast is mostly about video games you can find that all over the internet with uh with searching lock stock and two smoking controllers we've been on there and we actually had steve's uh brother as a guest on that podcast a, a little while back it was a lot of fun and then uh lastly we we still promote on the other podcast too but blake did write a story well he wrote it a long, long time ago and been writing it for a while but blake did publish a 
short story that you can find on Amazon if you just search uh, They Come This Night. And uh, Blake's short story will pop up there if you want to see how, uh, if he's a better writer writer than speaker. Uh, you can uh, find that out with uh, a... <laughs> Stop making faces. Find that out by uh, searching up his thing on there. You know, you purchase it or support it. Uh, like any internet thing, review reviews on something like that also help if you want to write reviews. I say on the other podcast, uh, if you... Uh, don't just write a positive review just because you like Blake, Blake on podcast. He'd prefer you read the story and give an honest review on there. It, it is, uh, if you have Kindle Unlimited, it is free. Yeah. Uh, but if you have to, if you don't have that, it's literally just a dollar. Yeah. It's 99 dollar. cents. Yeah. So I'm a proud owner. Yeah. See, see, bought it. Uh, that's all I have on the social media and internet side of things. I think I'll be doing this on the end of every episode because I think on episode two, Blake drop the ball completely so i'll be taking that part that's all i got i guess uh we'll do uh steve you say your part and blake you wrap it up and that's it all right everybody uh until next time just uh do everything you can to make sure you uh see enough movies because all life's riddles are answered in the movies and i want to wish everybody a good evening and good night